You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Welcome to the Screamcast episode 111. I am Sean DeRager, and with me is Brad Henderson. Yeah. Woo! BJ has to get up super early for her job, so she was not able to make it uh, on tonight. But in her stead, we have Justin Beam. Hey. Third time on the podcast, right? I think so. Menage a trois. Mm hmm. <laughs> it's been far too long. Um, We've, we've, you know, you're one of those guests that I wish we would just keep having on over and over again. I'll but call nice, anytime. Nice to have you back. Um, so you started up a podcast, man. The Justin Beam, is it Radio Hour? Radio Hour. Yeah. Which is never an hour and is not on radio. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> it's so fucking ironic. It's so ironic. <laughs> yeah, I, I have loved being on, like your show, for example, over time. And I, I love the format. I love the freedom of it. And I think there's a great community out there of so many great shows. And I've always wanted to do something that branched out a little bit beyond the perimeters of horror because that's predominantly what I've been involved with. Not that my show is not primarily focused on that, but I wanted to do something a little bigger, not bigger, wider, I guess you'd say in scope. So, and I, man, I kicked around a name for the show forever. It was so stressful for me because I'm like, it felt so pretentious to name it after myself, but I'm like, what else do I have? And what else <laughs> would encapsulate something that's not horror based? Like Screamcast makes sense. Yeah. You guys talk about horror. And so I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't think of anything else. And uh, it just came down. I mean, anybody who's close to me will attest to these endless stupid conversations about, does that even make sense? It sounds so fucking stupid. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so anyway, I, um, Decided to put it together and finally pulled the trigger on it one day and I've been loving it. I just, I'm recording episode three tomorrow and I have, I think maybe 15 already booked out right now with guests. Yeah. Very nice. And you had, sounds uh, like you're prepared. Unlike us. Yeah. Oh, well, I just, I'm too nervous to, to not be. Uh, you want a podcast that actually makes sense and is, uh, prepared, uh, <laughs> you know, and, just, just listen to the Justin Beam radio hour. No, I think it really is just a matter of a lot of the people <laughs> that I'm bringing on are just like me. I'm, you call me, I'm going to be free probably. <laughs> if, but a lot of the folks that I'm bringing on are, you know, you schedule them out of ways or they're shooting somewhere or whatever. So that's part of why it's so scheduled out, which at yeah. first was kind of annoying, but now it's like, oh, that makes, that's great because I know in September I have bang, 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 bang. Right. I mean, I already, so it feels nice to have that. It's comforting. And also, um, it helps me get in my groove and which I'm still very much trying to find because that's tough. It's tough being by yourself. Yeah. I, I tried that. I tried by myself, uh, then with guests before I had three kids, I had just, just like you scheduled out (laughs) in it like six months in advance. I had every week scheduled out with an interview uh, or, you know, potential interview possibly like, you know, um, tentatively scheduled. But yeah, once I had kid number three, it was, uh. All bets were off, man. It's been a, oh yeah, it's been crazy ever since. But you gotta yeah. live life first. I think yeah. they got Brad here. Brad handles all the scheduling, but he's a busy son of a bitch too. 
Yeah, I, I like it's a good idea to like schedule. I mean, because I've tried mm-hmm. like scheduling out that far ahead um, at first, but then like you know, obviously you know people if the job pops up or something like that. I mean, by all means, they can take that before they come on this fucking show. Yeah, right. but it just seemed right. like every time I would do that, we would have just so many fallouts and fall throughs, which is fine. I and mean, there's no complaints. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, we'll just reschedule and. I mean, I would say 80% of the time we reschedule, but it was just really difficult yeah. uh, planning that far ahead, um, especially if you're dealing with people who are kind of still active and then you have to deal with an agent and then they start <laughs> asking price. I've had that happen. Oh, wow. I'm like, really? wow. I'm like, no, it's not like, it's not like a that. I was like, wait, do like fucking magazines and websites pay for interviews? Like I've never yeah. heard of such a thing. No. I was like, that's insane. They're asking it, for money. I remember that's Linnea, Linnea Quigley's uh, manager originally asked for money. And I said, no. I was like, we're not paying paying for anything. This is yeah. I mean, this is something for fun, number one. And number two, like, it's pretty much all about the guests. It's like almost in a way free publicity. Right. And um, I eventually went around him and just got in direct with her. And she was like, that's insane. She was like, yeah. there's no way. I was like, good lord, man! I've actually had a couple, couple things like that, and I was like, I just like, I don't, I was like, maybe I'm not aware of something, but I thought this is like kind of a cool thing to do. Just be like, yeah, that sounds fun, you know? I'll do it. It's free publicity. It sounds, you know, if you know who we are, which we are prominently known with a lot of people, you know, they words out and they're like, yeah, sure, that sounds that sounds fantastic. But um, yeah, I wish. I was able to schedule that far out and not have any issues. Cause when you do that, then you like, you know, sometimes you spread yourself too thin or then you have too much and then you feel like they're waiting. But honestly, yeah. it's probably more or less, they're just like, yeah, that sounds cool. And then you remind them the week of, and they're like, Oh yeah, I did have that thing. Right. Yep. You know, so yep. that's not always, always was with me, but cool, man. Um, I'm glad it's going well. Let's, uh, Thanks. Let's jump into what's on our doorstep, and then we're, we're going to be talking um, some cool announcements this week. So pretty much this show, we'll be talking about the whole Vestron video thing and the Lionsgate thing. I think there's a lot to talk about there. So we'll jump into that, but first, uh, let's find out what's on our doorstep. Holy cow, I almost forgot. We'll get the door. Right, I can go. I can go first. Is that all right, Brent? Well, I would say so to give uh, some Justin some some time and for me to gather myself since you sprung this on me, Sean. Uh, we do this every week. It's really not that big of a surprise. You, you know what, Sean? I wasn't expecting it tonight because you didn't mention it. Because you are always like, "We're going to do this, boom, boom, boom." Right. And you it's, didn't do that, Sean. It's been... <laughs> It's been a week, man. It's been ridiculous. No, it's cool. Um, this show's never planned anyway. So let's go just right. say, I've, since I've been home with the three kids today, uh, I've had a headache since four o'clock. Ooh. So you know, and then you know, and then I, my, and then there's this, the whole election season. I get crazy and I watch the news too goddamn much. Oh, and it's so agree, depressing. And I'm this just year. like, dear God Almighty. So I need to stop with all that. So it's been a it's been a headache inducing week. But, uh, I, I did get a couple things in. Uh, the first thing that I watched was a kind of this action flick. I, it, it's called Redeemer, starring Marco Zaror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, oh, uh, dude, talk about the 
Fucking it, it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say something. Well, I feel like there. the director is like a huge Assassin's Creed fan. Um, this guy always has his hoodie up. No, all the time. I mean, all right. So before, uh, sorry. I, like <laughs> these guys are good guys. Marco Zorora is like one of the nicest fucking dudes ever, and he's a great martial artist. And Redeemer is kind of a long time coming because it's a buddy team that got together, like stunt guys, action mm-hmm. choreographers, to make you know this film. And dude, just go ahead and say whatever. That's like kind of the background of the movie. Yeah, so it's I, a lot of know, it, it's, it's a lot of fanfare and a lot of you know just like buddies well, making a movie together. Yeah, it got a lot of uh, really good reviews. So I, it was like eight ninety nine or something. It was super cheap, so I grabbed it. And, you know, it's a fun little action flick. I don't know if I'll ever watch this again. I would recommend it be, you know, uh, like a rental. But, I mean, there's some brutal action. I mean, they don't shy away from the violence, which is great. Um, and, uh, you know, it was all right. I don't know. It what, was – it's just a little – I don't know. It just doesn't seem to ever go there. And, then you know, you have uh, Noah Segan, Kid Blue, playing the most ridiculous – like, you know, top dog, you know, yeah. hitman, mafia, you know, dude, whatever he is in that movie. Just wearing that, like, white suit. Um, it's just, it, like, it's almost to the part where it's funny. But what really, really bugged me about the movie, and Marcos Aurora is a great martial artist. I will watch anything he's in. He's has some actually great films where he's, um, you know, just doing some kick-ass shit. I mean, he was in, uh, he was pretty much the only good part of, like, about Machete Kills. Um, I was not a fan of that one either, but, um, what really bugged me is that they would, instead of filming, like instead of, was, I think they, instead of filming in slow motion, they were slowing the film down and then speeding it up. Yeah. And it kept doing that off and on. And it was like, I was like, wait, why didn't like film in slow motion, like it, like it would jiggle, like it almost like like the film was like jiggling, and then it just looked really corny when they do the slow mo, and they would do it constantly. Yeah, I don't know. It was just a little bit jarring for me. Yeah. I Noah, mean, it's Noah not Segan, boring. Noah at all, but it's is like this. Uh, he's like this trust fund kid who's running organized crime or something. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah. No, that's what it feels really like, odd. and it's. Um, but anyways, I saw I saw it a uh, work print. I think it was a work print at Fantastic Fest, like 2014 or something yeah. like that. And I just, I mean, I, I like Marco. I think he's got, you know, some real talent. I, I do want to see him, like, you know, a little bit bigger budget. Yeah. What, with, it, what uh, I did maybe like. Maybe a bit more of a role rather yeah. than just kind of the it's muscle just, head action dude. Yeah. It was like the, you know, strong, silent type. But the one thing I did like is uh, how he does the uh, the Russian roulette. Basically, every morning when he wakes up, he has his routine, and he does the Russian roulette every morning to himself. And uh, I thought that was, that was pretty badass. But, you know, a good little action flick. I would say if you saw this on Netflix or or whatever, you know, give it a watch. It's a, it's ninety, it's like 90 minutes. You know what's badass is I think in a, like a Takeshi Miike film, um, they do Russian roulette. But instead of putting five empty chambers, they only have one empty chamber with <laughs> five bullets. Oh, God. <laughs> Now that scene was insane. I can't remember the name of the movie though. I feel like I've I wish seen I could. That. I wish I could think about it. And it's like so funny because the guy spins it, holds it against his head, it clicks, and then the other guy grabs it and is all excited, pulls the trigger, and blows his head off. <laughs> movie I can't, I Dude, can't remember. Dude, something my tongue. All right. Anyway, um, so 
we've been trying to get a interview, or you have, with uh, John Cassier. Cassier? Yes. The voice of the Crypt Keeper. And uh, that kind of fell through this week, but we're rescheduling. So, But in in the meantime, I, I decided that as I, what a good time for me to get into the uh, the Scream Factory Tales from the Crypt Blu-rays, uh, Demon Knight and Bordello of Blood. So I, I watched those, and uh, I, I you know people always shit on Bordello, Bordello of Blood. I think it's I think it's fun. It's fun. It's, it is what it is. What it is. I, I mean, mean, it's the, no Demon Knight. I, I think no, that's no, no. The, I think that's what people were coming from. Is that well, they're yeah. going to be like, I'm going to watch this, and it's Tales from the Crypt, like. I mean, first film they completely knock out of the park because yeah. I consider Demon Knight one of the best horror films of the '90s by Same. far. I it's agree. got yeah. a fantastic cast. I mean, it has uh, you know Jada Pinkett as the lead, a mm-hmm. black woman as the lead in a horror film, and kind of another strong uh, oh, she, female. Uh, you know, C, uh, CCH Pounder. Mm-hmm. Is in it, and she plays fucking badass. Thomas Hayden Church is absolutely hilarious in the fucking movie. He's William Sadler is a badass. Like it's got a kick-ass cast, man. Yeah, and it's yeah. just and it's just so strong, and it's you know violent. It's gross. It's got some kick-ass action. I mean that movie's fantastic. But I was always a fan of Bordello of Blood too. Well, I, I, it was a different you know. different level of movie. But I mean. Fucking Dennis Miller in a horror movie. <laughs> he's and he's. We, I think this is the first time I've I've rewatched this as an adult. And I I saw this when it first came out. I think it was on VHS when it first came you out. You watched it for titties, didn't you? Totally. Are you kidding me? I totally watched <laughs> this for titties. And you know Dennis Miller. I thought was at the time I liked the, the Dennis Miller show and stuff like that. And I think he was on HBO a lot, doing a lot of stand up. So I kind of like knew who he was. You know Corey Feldman and uh, you know hot hot naked. Angie Everhart. Angie Everhart? Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Um, anyway, so watching it as an adult now, though, I mean, I could see, definitely see all the problems with it. Dennis Miller is pretty awful. <laughs> He's pretty. Well, I think it was on the special features. He fucking, like, did not want to do the movie. No, no, and that's what's great. <clears throat> like, apparently, like, he had meltdowns, like, on the set and wouldn't speak to anybody. Yeah, he would. And was just a total <clears throat> dick. Like, yeah, it's. I- you could totally see Dennis Miller doing that though too. So yeah, no, it's the the reason. I mean, if you're on the fence with this, I mean, the making of documentary is is great because it's basically the let's shit on Dennis Miller, and it's it's almost like they've all been holding this in for years, and they finally have a chance to let all the shit out because everyone's complaining about this. Um, Angie Angie Everhart. Uh, I don't really think she got too many roles after this, but she, she it's well, pretty, she didn't have roles to begin with. I mean, she was just, you know, she, she played in some, you know, kind of up all like Rhonda Shear up all night. Oh, movies. Yeah, that yeah. Said, seemed like you could catch one of her movies on USA. Yeah. She, kind of yeah. the same thing with Anna Nicole Smith when she had kind of had that run of like, you know, action movies for a second yeah. and then, you know, did some like cameos and, you know, yeah, but, I don't know. She but, just got stuck in that the funny um, thing is kind of beauty queen role. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is she's complaining about everything, and she was like, I was trying to be a serious actress. And it's like, uh, you're in a Tales from the Crypt movie. So so I guess she was a bit hey, stuck up. Uh, wrong with that. I think she was a bit stuck up on set, too, because Corey Feldman was just letting everyone have it. But most of the most of the time, they were complaining about uh, Dennis Miller. Um, Erica Eleniak. Yeah, got, I've always... She got her role because she was um, she was dating she was dating somebody who was involved with the production 
But then later on, um, she talks about breaking up with Sylvester Stallone. So she got the role because she was sleeping with somebody involved with the production, but she, I think she was also dating Sylvester Stallone. I don't know. The the making of is fantastic. You're going to start rumors, Sean. I, mean, I You're going to start rumors and Eric Alaniac fan club is going to come after you. I guess. No, that's what it said in the in the thing. But uh, and and I think Al Katz. I think he probably had to go to therapy after this film because he is like he is like on the verge. Like it's like, dude, take a break and smoke a cigarette or something. Calm down because he is just so agitated during the interview. Uh, that's the best thing about the Blu-ray, you know, um, about this Blu-ray. Pretty pretty great. But it looks pretty good. But both these are pretty great. I mean, Demon Knight. Watching like because Demon Knight came out before Bordello Blood. But yeah. I watched it afterwards, and then I, like if you watch Bordello of Blood and then watch Demon Knight, it's it's like it's night and day with the quality of like what kind of films they are, and, and Demon Knight's a blast. Um, it's great, and the Blu-ray looks good. Like it has some issues, like and the first like through the credits, it looks really bad, and then all of a sudden it looks really good. So I don't know if they had some element element problems with that. Well, like the intro? Because they probably just used the film stock of the TV show. No, I th- yes, I think what they did. It, it looks pretty oh. bad. And the end of the credits, it looks pretty bad. And then it kind of smooths out. So, But these are fun. I'm, I'm glad these are out on, on Blu-ray. You, weren't, weren't you saying people were, were people upset with the transfers of these at all? Or? Um, No, they were just they were just normal. I mean, yeah, it's just they're, like they're a right. just little HD master, which yeah. I was kind of hoping more uh, more from this one, just because this is kind of a long-awaited one. Right. Because they were, were released overseas, you know, like Germany had Tales from the Crypt, you know, Demon Knight on mm-hmm. Blu-ray and stuff like that. So I think they were hoping for a little bit more. Um, it was just whatever. I was just happy that they kind of got uh, – they resurfaced again because at one – you know, the deep, originally when the Clamshell DVD came out, it was kind of hard to find. And then it went out of print, and then eventually they re-released it. So I'm just happy that it's in everybody's home at this point. Oh, yeah. Just because it was <laughs> – you know, 90s always get shit on for the worst decade in horror. And while I tend to kind of agree with it's not the strongest, I also say that there's a shit ton of a lot of fun and, you know, kind of um, staples mm-hmm. in in 90s horror that kind of, you know, shaped horror to what it is today. Um, it's just that I think it gets shit on a lot because of the special effects, because they were trying something new. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the same thing with the late 80s with a lot of science fiction stuff. But sometimes science fiction's a little bit more forgivable than, you know, blood splatter and monster effects and stuff. Yeah, well, these, I think, I think these are all practical effects. Oh, yeah, they're all practical. Well, the TV show was, too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it looks good. I, I mean, I'm excited for the new TV show that's going to be coming out next year. So, Tales from the Crypt. So, I mean, I would love to see more Tales from the Crypt movies. You know, just I mean, well, there's just something about them that's just unadulterated, just fun, goofy, gory fun, and that's why I like like the intro, the opening of Bordello of Blood is fantastic. The whole Indiana Jones type ripoff thing. Yeah. Uh, super fun. Super gory. The guy's eyeballs popping out. I mean, it's, you know, I feel like we don't get enough of these kind of campy, splattery, just fun horror films, uh, anymore. I think they try to be too gritty and grimy. You know, I just, you know, make them a little more fun. Have some splatter and, you know, I don't know. Fun anyway, that, fact, there's a third Tales from the Crypt movie, oh, if you didn't oh, know that. Death Becomes Her? No. Death Becomes Her? What is wrong mm. with you? 
Well, people are saying that, was, that uh, Death Becomes Her could have been a, a Tales from the Crypt. Episode. Well, there was a Tales from the Crypt uh, third movie called Ritual with Craig Schaefer, uh, Jennifer Grey, and like Tim Curry's in it, I think. Really? Yeah, and it's it's Tales from the Crypt movie. It just was not like distributed well and kind of <laughs> hidden. But yeah, it's it's the third Tales from the Crypt movie. Wow. It's uh, I think it's on DVD. It's it's not the greatest, but Jennifer Grey's in it. And she's always been a favorite. Nice. All right. What else do you have? Sean? That's it. That's all I got. Ooh, I'm going to hand it over to Justin because he's being quiet. <laughs> I don't want to hear his voice. <laughs> I got the, the new criterion Blu-ray of Carnival of Souls. Yes. When, when Barnes and Noble had their 50% off thing, which I love, it's kind of an annual ritual for me. And I love it. I'm so, I, I've, I really, really love that movie. I love it when it looks shitty, and I love it when it looks amazing, and it's never yeah. looked better than this. Right. And I was just about to say that, man. Yeah. I think that's it's got such a, a unique aura about it. It's its its own entity for sure. And I have I even have this uncut soundtrack that came out a number of years ago with dialogue cut into it and it has an interview on the end of it and stuff that I, I mean, it's great driving music. It's just all around. Great. Anyway, the only, this is, do either of you have the DVD that criterion put out a while back? No, this is on uh, my, no, I just have the blu-ray that's recently released. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to be great grabbing it at some point soon. The only thing missing, this is, a, it has a 4k transfer and all the, a bunch of documentary stuff that ported over from Blu-ray edition or uh, laser discs and all this stuff in the past. The only thing that's missing that is a good reason to get the DVD and keep it. And I think the DVD maybe came out 10 years ago or something is that it has an extended cut of the film because in its true form, it runs about 80, 80 minutes or so, I think. And um, the uncut version I want to say is like an extra, like 30 minutes or more in it. Wow. That's so, kind of crucial to, leave out huh yeah yeah i don't remember the dvd i've just had so many i've owned so many shitty versions of that movie on dvd um you know and i just i never picked up the dvd uh criterion but that's interesting yeah i think this is one that is worth picking up it really the transfer i think is one of the top five i've ever seen for anything, I mean, alongside the Jaws disc from Universal from a couple of years ago and a few other things, I'm just so blown away by it. I remember when they did Island of Lost Souls a few years ago, and I was very excited uh, for for that to come out. And I the transfer is so goddamn bad that I sold it, and I just watched the DVD. I mean, I, I prefer the quality of the DVD over the Blu-ray. It's really sad because it's so incredibly intensely grainy. How do you guys feel about noise reduction on Blu-ray when they're doing the high-res transfers? I don't. I don't. I'm not a. I mean, if it's egregious, I'm not a fan. Um, if it, if they look waxy and plasticky, I, I'll take the grain. I mean, I, yeah. I sought out the non-DNR uh, Blu-ray of Predator because, like, mm-hmm. the first one wasn't. You know, I guess wasn't DNR'd, and then they re-released it and DNR'd. Yeah. But, but with special features, so I have both of them. But I I sought out the you know the first release. Yeah, it just matters. It just matters on the film in general. Just you know what it is, and 
the kind of importance when it becomes like stuff that's black and white though. I think it's kind of crucial. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, Islands of Lost Souls is like one of my, you know, one of my favorites. Yep. So when that came out on Blu-ray, I was, you know, fairly excited, but I owned a, a DVD of it. Um, honestly, I don't even think, I think it was like one of those like off beat, yeah. like, I like DVDs that had came out. Release. Yeah. You know, cause I remember, uh, kind of the prime time of DVD. A lot of these companies were releasing DVDs. Like I remember top 10 media was one of them. And they got like down and dirty with some like crazy titles. And I think I want to say I have it like on that. And I actually prefer that because of just what it looks like. It looks, it just looks, I don't know. It just looks cleaner to me. Like it, it looks like how it's supposed to be with, um, with the Blu-ray just look too processed. Like I guess you could say, I don't know. That's just me though, but I did notice it. It seemed like they poured more grain into that transfer. Like they're like going the opposite direction of everyone. It almost seemed rebellious. How shitty that transfer is on that fucking Blu-ray. It was so miserable. <laughs> but so anyway, the Carnival of Souls is so highly recommended and it has more than you could ever dream of in terms of supplements down to the score being isolated as well, which again, so much love for that thing. And also I did my first dip, made my first dip into Arrow. I got that American Horror Project Volume One. Oh my god! Beautiful. And the reason I got that was I'm a, I've long been a huge fan of Malatesta's Carnival of Blood. I did a piece in Fangoria, I don't know, like five years ago on that on that movie, and I never ever dreamed <laughs> that it would get any farther than the DVD that Chris Spieth, the director, had put out himself. That was available through his jank little website, and I was so excited just to have that when it finally landed. And little did I dream, I mean, this is absolutely stunning, this package. I'm not a huge fan. I, I haven't spent a lot of time, I should say, with The Witch Came From the Sea and Premonition. I breezed through both of them. I had them in the background over the course of a couple of days as I was doing stuff. So I wasn't real focused on them. I did hit the audio on one of the, I remember, I think it was The Witch Who Came From the Sea. And it, I accidentally hit the audio button, the remote, and it switched to a commentary track that was revolting. It was so poorly recorded. Oh. I couldn't believe it. I was like, is this, is this Arrow? Like, is this the quality stuff for you? It's really just people in a room, and it sounds like none of them are near the one mic that's like eight feet in front of them. And, <laughs> oh, it's just so bad. It's so terrible. But anyway, Malatestas looks incredible. And the bonus features on it. It's another one where this the transfer is worlds beyond anything I'd ever see from this movie. Same thing with Carnival of Souls. I with these with these films that have been swimming in public domain for so long. I think a lot of these distribution companies don't see dollar signs with them. I think they don't see the worth. But I think someone like Criterion. That's part of what makes them special is that ninety percent of their catalog is stuff that majority of the world has never heard of. And I think that's beautiful. So. Kudos to Arrow for putting this Malatestas out finally mm-hmm. and giving it so much love. I recommend that highly. It's got a great book with it. The package is fantastic. It's super sexy on the shelf. Reversible. I mean, it's just all great. It's all good. The uh, the audio commentary for which came to see uh, Dean Cundy is involved with that. Maybe it was Premonition. Premonition. One of them. Yeah, I don't remember which one. I, sh- I should have. I should qualify that by saying I'm not sure, but it's one of those two for sure. Well, I know that the, like I mean, there's a few people in The Witch Who Came From the Sea, Matt Clymer, Millie Perkins, and Dean Cundy. But I mean, some, sometimes who knows? Like I've heard some that are just awful. Um, 
that yeah, it sounds like they just put an iPhone in the center of a room as they're yeah. watching and yeah, and those you know, I don't know. It's good that it's there. Yeah, it's good that it's there. But it was like yeah. the first bonus feature that I've ever touched on from an Arrow release, <laughs> and it was that. And I'm oh, like, man. Jesus Christ, what am I in and for? They're here? usually usually not like that. Um, you know, because I actually had uh, picked up Satan's Blade um, yeah. recently, and the interviews on that thing are horrendous. Like the like they have the camera set up, and the director like gets up and stands for like 30 minutes of the interview. <laughs> And it's just pointing directly at his dick while oh he's, God. like, talking and, like, lifting up stuff. And the camera focuses on, like, what he picks up. But then the camera just stays there, and he's, like, standing the entire time. I have a like, feeling that like, was on the uh, Slasher video one, too. Yeah, no, I, I think it was. But it's just, like, you know, it's just – I don't know. I, I think with companies like Red Shirt, they do a lot of work and a right. lot of, you know – yeah. Just uh, just a lot of work in general with editing and setting things up and capturing so many cool moments that these people that, you know, not saying Arrow, but this is everybody that just kind of do the, you know, iPhone. Because I think Sean and I have complained that a bit a few times about commentaries and everything like that. And, uh, you know, some of the interviews and and that are that they're basically almost filmed maybe by a family member and then sent to these companies. That's kind of what right. it feels like sometimes. Yeah. Um, that that's the one thing I always praise Screen Factory for because they go above and beyond of the special features. Because um, even stuff that was ported over from old DVDs were, um, you know, usually conducted by the companies themselves, you know, in preparation for the DVD or even the LaserDisc. Um, you know, so it was usually quality stuff. But now it seems like, hey, um, we want to release, you know, something like Satan's Blade on Blu-ray, hey, can you throw this together? Because they're not going to fly them out for something as such as Satan's Blade, not, you know, diminishing the movie at all. It's just that, you know, maybe it's not worth, you know, two grand to fly somebody out, put them up, and then conduct an interview. They just do it in the comfort of their own home. But then we're also getting stuff like that where it's almost to the point where it's hilarious. Um, it's not even – I can't even consider it bad because it was almost enjoyably bad. Um, but anyways, yeah, it's 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 kind of weird, um, you know, especially coming from Arrow with kind of the, the kind of the subpar interviews or anything like that because they really do go above and beyond and everything else. Um, their special features are always kind of like hit or miss on those types of things. Yeah. I'm glad it's there. I'm glad, any, I'm glad all of it's there, any of it's there for any of these movies. But it's just, I think, honestly, at this point, to an extent, I even feel spoiled saying that. Like, damn it, the audio quality is not great in that commentary. Like, holy shit, there's a commentary on this movie that no one has ever given a shit about for distribution in the past and no one's ever given love to. So I, I feel rather spoiled by complaining for complaining about that but anyway saw the release i'm i'm really happy with what i've seen from them and i'm definitely going to be picking up more i need to get a region free blue player I, I have a dvd player but i hardly ever use it do you remember when dvds like you were talking about the the first mega waves of dvd releasing there was so much stuff import wise and i had to i got a region free player pretty early on the quality of the releases that I was picking up from wherever, Amazon.jp or eBay or wherever, <laughs> yeah. it, it, so many of them were so damn bad. that it, So many bootlegs. It, that was the thing. So many Even, bootlegs. These yeah. were companies, but they were companies that were promoting bootlegs. Right. 
So, you know, it was was a lot of misses. So it's a lot, you know, it's great that some of these companies are going through and releasing, uh, you know, re-releasing because all we've ever had was, you know, some shitty DVD uh, for years. And then, you know, even if it's public domain, it's worse because it's on every fucking horror pack that comes out, you know, 50 horror movies, you know, and then you have like these hammer titles on there. You have, you know, Carnival Souls on Dementia every 13. single one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's nice that, you know, companies are going around um, and giving them at least, a, you know, some of them a somewhat proper release and other ones like Carnival Souls. Finally, after, you know, all these years, years and years and years, uh, you know, the treatment it kind of deserves. But and it's and it's kind of remarkable, not remarkable, but it's in. I'm more or less, you know, I give props to Criterion because they're releasing a movie that's been released probably literally a hundred times on DVD from various companies, um, just kind of, kind of the licensing issue and, you know, kind of public domain that it was, still is, I guess, um, you know, that's taking a chance that people will eventually, you know, pick it up, even though they probably own it a hundred times already. So, you know, that's refreshing to see companies do that. I'm not buying Wes Anderson movies from Criterion anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Sean. (laughs) They release all of them. It's like, dude, I just picked this up for like $5.99 at Best Buy. I'm happy with the movie. And then all of a sudden, like, Criterion comes out. And that was back when I was trying to make everything match. Now I I don't give a shit. No. Is that how you organize? You, like, you like organized by distributor or something? Well, I had all my criterions together and I was like, well, I need to get all the Wes Anderson movies all right by each other. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, you know what? Budapest yeah. uh, Hotel or whatever the hell, um, staying with the 599 Blu-ray that I bought. <laughs> that one and the uh, the one about the Boy Scouts. I'm not upgrading those. I've left a lot of that behind. I'm, I'm not a completist on anything really anymore yeah. or very, very, very few things and I most certainly don't care how my anything looks on my shelves. I mean, half it's not even alphabetized or anything. Part <laughs> it's of just... it's because I'm just running out of room and my wife is just <laughs> thinks it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm in my office right now and I got just stacks of movies because I have no room in my case anymore. So I need to re I need to overhaul this room here and add shelves and you know, so, but it's just one of those projects. I'm like, I need to, before I do that, I need to downgrade quite a bit. And I got a bunch of fat, you know, just a bunch of crap that I need to get rid of. But, but yeah, no, no, I'm no longer a completist. That's for sure. Yeah. All right, uh, Brad. Oh, is that it for Justin? I was guessing. Yes. No. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. That's all I got. I mean, <laughs> uh, well, I guess outside of theatrically, I will say I went and saw Shallows a second time. Oh, the okay. Shallows. Yeah, I haven't see that yet. I need to see that too. My wife actually wants to see it. That's yeah, very good. Very, very good. The shark stuff at the end is out of control, intense, and nice. awesome. So very, very, I'm not going to say too much about it because it's so new, yeah. but highly recommended. And also, I was one of the fortunate few. We were, we went and got to see Neon Dean the week that it came out and we were in a theater of four people. And of course, <laughs> we were two of them and it was incredible. It was so great and wanted to go back a week later and it was gone already. So mm. I love that movie so much and it got shit on so hard and I don't understand why. I think it's misunderstood, but when it comes out, I recommend everyone check that one out too. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I was a big fan of Only God Forgives and people shit all over that too. Oh so. yeah, it was a lot of venom for that film. Yeah. So, 
they were expecting us drive two. So yeah, I think yeah. this is this, this surpasses everything he's done so far. I really think it's going to be hard for him to top this, but I look forward to seeing what he does because it's he's on an upward trajectory well, for sure. He's, he's one of the he's a great just a great director. I mean, he's doing his own thing. You know what I mean? He's not yeah, getting wrapped exactly. up in in franchise right. films and stuff. He's doing his own his own movies and making movies that he wants to make. And, you know, I mean, I, I love directors that will just put out their vision and not give a shit and just keep on churning stuff out. I mean, and so that's why I have a, still have a huge respect for Kevin Smith because he doesn't give a fuck, like, what anyone thinks about his movies. There was a, you guys see that all, clip of him yeah. where somebody told him they, they didn't like yoga yeah. hosers and, and he just was like, I, I don't care. So you didn't like the movie. You know what I mean? He just went on this big long thing and he's like, I'm not making, he's, he's making them for him and, he hopes people people like it, but he thinks they're funny, and and that's it. He's at a position where he's making everyone's all the investors' money back. Everyone got their money back, and you know he's happy with it. So really, who cares? Like as long as he and that, that's art, you know what I mean. And uh, we don't have a lot of directors doing that. You know, we have a handful, and and they're not churning out these uh, you know mainstream blockbuster things. So people complain about original movies then they get original movies and then they complain about those original movies <laughs> oh yeah that's an epi- you know? that's an epidemic and so, i think that you're to your point on don't get a lot of directors like that i think in the theaters we don't get a lot of directors right. yeah. because the distribution companies the chains don't want to pick this stuff up that's why i was shocked to see neon demon anywhere and i mm-hmm. think if it wasn't for drive i don't think it would have even gotten theatrical but because it's so out there right but i but <laughs> Independent film has always been the breeding ground for the most incredible art, and it always will be. It is; Those are movies made by people who are passionate about what they're making. Not that everyone who makes a movie isn't, but these are movies that don't have any kind of commercial consideration in mind. And when you're in that playground, it's literally limitless. And so if you ever want – if you're ever bored with Hollywood, if stop going to the theater. Start searching online. Start Mm -hmm. following links and listen to podcasts and check out some of the backwater stuff that you might not have ever heard of before. Absolutely worth looking into. And go get an Amazon Prime membership because there's so much insane stuff on Amazon Prime that will never be on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix is is like multiplex light for the most part. They don't get really into a lot of retro, although I see a little bit more of that creeping in, in now. But... I've been so thrilled with Amazon Prime. Oh, they have like and, the whole, all those like <clears throat> like redemption, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, the Rawlings like, films and everything. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Netflix it's so was, great. Like, was like that for a while and I would stay up and just drink beers and watch the crazy shit. Right. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, this is just some movies I need to remember. I need to like write them down. There's one that I that I saw on, on Netflix that was amazing. Uh, I can't remember. Mutant was in the title. Um, of course. Mutant with Wings Hauser. <laughs> no, no, no. It was Mutants, uh, the French zombie flick. No, it was. It, no? was, it was something. I, I, I'll, I'll, I need to find it because that that's one of those movies that needs to come out on Blu-ray. Mutant, <laughs> movies Mutant like Hunt. That. Mutant Hunt. I think it's Mutant Hunt. I think. Yeah, Charles Band movie or whatever. Or he produced it. One of the thing. I think so. But uh, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, Mutant Hunt. <laughs> But uh, Netflix, yeah, they're not that much on Netflix anymore. But uh, you're fine. You'll find a ton of this stuff on uh, on Amazon Prime for sure. And also, just go to film festivals because they're everywhere. They're all over. Your state has one. Wherever you are, your state has one somewhere. 
drive a few hours, spend a weekend watching independent film. It is the greatest gateway into this stuff. And honestly, as horror fans, how the hell can we complain about the lack of ideas in movies these days? Because the, the Cineplex has never meant a damn thing to us. Yeah. The things that we treasure are things that have historically been trashed at the box office. John Carpenter's never made a technically successful film, short of maybe a couple. It, but it's but he's an icon. Romero. I had this discussion last night on Attack of the Killer podcast. We went on and on about Romero and Carpenter and resurrection of career versus truth to art, all of this stuff. And you realize that the world doesn't know about most of the people that are household names to us. And I think it's because we live in this sort of sphere where we have three magazines we read instead of going to the newsstand and having 50 about the entertainment that we love. And so it's very insulated in that way. And there, and it is a small community of the, that, that's producing this stuff too. So you come out of that educated, very well educated, passionate, dedicated, dedicated to the artists and actors and whoever you show up to a movie in horror for a lot of different reasons and a lot of different people, not just because it stars Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> and, and that's why someone shows up to a romantic comedy. It's not about the story because it's going to be the same thing. You're, no. you're, you're showing for an, like a star, there's star power. So anyway, I don't understand the negativity in the horror circles, period, let alone this constant dirge of people pissing and moaning about the lack of quality and like lack of inventiveness and what's going on. Like you are blind. You are not paying attention to what's out there. If you think that's the case, because there's more than ever and it's more accessible than ever. And a lot of it's in fact, most of it's probably free to find. If you go to a filmmaker's website and they might have a streaming or if they can put their stuff on YouTube or go to a film festival, a mod you know, spend 10 bucks for a weekend pass and, you're going to see 50 movies or whatever it might be. Yeah. So it's out there is the bottom line. So there's no reason to complain. There's no excuse for that. And it has never meant anything to us anyway as horror films. We don't care about the box office. Nice. Agreed. Agreed. All right. All right, Brad, what you got? Well, speaking of film festivals, um, I had to jot down everything since Sean uh, is making me do this. Um, I watched a few films for Fantasia. Um, I got around to seeing. Um, first, we will start off with uh, a Ben Wheatley produced uh, Tank 432, I think it's called. Originally called like Belly of the Bulldog or something like that. Um, interesting flick. Uh, Rupert uh, Evans is in it, of course, who um, I've always been a huge fan of. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of I pretty much say it on every other podcast, Asylum Blackout. Uh, it's one of my favorite films pretty much ever. Um, and he's in that. He was recently kind of in The Boy. Uh, he's the, you know, the male hero in, uh, in that film. And, uh, this is kind of a military flick where these, um, you know, this kind of battalion is on a, um, kind of dropped right in the middle of their, uh, mission. And, uh, some shit goes sour. And they end up running, and they uh, run to basically this, um, you know, like World War II old tank that's out in the middle of a field. Uh, once they get in the tank for protection, they get stuck in the tank, and it won't open um, so they can go outside. Uh, and the tank's not functioning. So you have about six people in this tank, um, you know, and dealing, and, you know, with they're in there for a little while. Uh, dealing with, uh, you know, issues, of course, um, you know, there's a sense of, you know, 
claustrophobia, um, trust is a big issue, um, and kind of just keeping your sanity. Uh, while on the outside, they're being stalked by something. Um, and that's kind of where the story unfolds uh, going towards there. Uh, ben Wheatley, um, you know, that's the reason why I wanted to watch it, just because he produced it. Uh, the films that he's directed, uh, Sightseers, uh, High Rise, um, you know, Kill List was one of my favorite films of uh, that year. Um, ben Wheatley is a phenomenal filmmaker. He is fantastic. He has... Some of the greatest, just he is just great eye. He has this uh, cool, you know, just outlook on just film in general. And so when he is going to produce something, I would imagine that this is kind of the same route um, that he, you know, just obviously it caught his eye. So what's so special about this that Ben Wheatley is, uh, you know, um, you know, doing as well. And it's it's really cool. It's a it's a it's a cool story. It definitely feels. You know, like you can totally tell that Ben Wheatley was involved just because how it's set up, um, you know, and come to find out the director is, has worked with Ben Wheatley on films, like the cinematographer and, you know, everything like that. So it's definitely kind of a family oriented in, in that sense. Um, definitely a fun film. Uh, you know, it's one of definitely, it's very, very slow burn, which I'm always a big fan of because I don't like movies that are always in your face. I like movies that make you think, make you ponder what's going on, keeps you guessing. And then after about an hour and 20 minutes, they're like, boom, here you go. And it's like, yes, that's refreshing to me. Uh, jump scares and stuff are fun. But every once in a while, it's cool to have, you know, something that uh, is a treat that's new uh, to you. Um, and then I got around to watching... Um, uh, a movie called White Coffin. Uh, this was actually... Uh, uh, Bagliano, uh, uh, produced this. I don't know if he co-wrote it, but it was another, basically another kind of family oriented de- deal. Um, Spanish flick, uh, super fucking, like, just, it's, it's about a woman that's on a road trip with her, with her kid, and when she stops at a gas station, the child is kidnapped. She finds the truck that the child's being, you know, kidnapped in and follows it. During the uh, high-speed chase, uh, she gets a phone call saying, leave it alone or you'll die. Uh, and then an ambulance pops up, run, you know, with the lights on, runs her off the road. She crashes. Soon to find out when she comes to, she's in kind of a game with three other females, uh, all women, or not, uh, not all women, duh. Um, all moms, and they are playing a game. Uh, only one kid can survive. And if you know anything about women and kids, they will do anything for their baby. And this shit gets insane. It's really fucking cool. Definitely feels like a Bogliano flick. If you're not familiar, he's did films like Cold Sweat, Penumbra, um, uh, late phases was more popular when that came out recently. Uh, Bogliano or here comes the devil was another one of my favorites that he did a couple years ago. He's just, you know, this is a guy that feels like all his movies that he's attached to and makes with people like there's this nineties feel to them. Like it feels like this guy would have been so successful in the nineties um, because he has this like kind of cheese factor that the nineties had. And um, from this other – I can't remember the director's name. 
I wish I could because I keep on mentioning people that are producing and not actually directing, and that makes me feel bad. Um, De La Vega is this uh, – Daniel De La Vega is this guy's name. Um, and this is a screenplay by, I guess, Bogliano and his brother. Um, it is kind of one of those white-knuckle, like, adrenaline-fueled movies. Um, and it's Spanish, so therefore you know it doesn't give a fuck. Because Spanish films, they – no holes barred on those films. They will go above and beyond to shock you, and goddamn, that movie gets brutal. Um Next up from Fantasia was uh, – this was actually one of my favorites. It's called The Unseen. It is about a man that's kind of down on his luck, works a dead-end job, not a very good father. Um, comes to find out he's slowly disappearing, uh, parts of his body, and he's in immense pain because his ribs are kind of like cracking and disappearing. And um, he finds out that his daughter is in trouble. And so his last attempt to be a good father, he goes after her to basically save her. And it's kind of like this invisible man type kind of like spinoff too because he's completely disappearing. Like arms and like part of his head's disappearing so you can like see into his brain and shit. Uh, great special effects for kind of a, you know, kind of an indie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, really heartfelt. Got me a little teary-eyed. Um, it gets super emotional. Um, it's not like overly violent or anything like that. It's just basically, you know, there's a lot to be said uh, visually and just story-wise. Uh, you know, someone being invisible to their family, that type of thing. He fe- he feels invisible. Now he is invisible. Um, just a lot of subtext to the film. Um, really, really great. Uh, definitely one of the better films that I've seen come out of um, Fantasia. And not like being brutal or horror or anything like that. Just kind of a unique uh, unique story. Um, next up from Fantasia. See, you got me all screwed up, Sean. I didn't have my notes. Um, well, who cares about Fantasia? Just talk about Suicide Squad. <laughs> um, but well, before I get into that, uh, I watched another flick. Uh, I guess this is coming out on Blu-ray uh, fairly soon. It's a, one of those like limited editions from the filmmakers. Um, I usually don't watch movies that are sent to me like that, um, just because we get an abundance of them. I do at least, um, and I just don't have the time. But I gave this one a shot because. You know, it was one of those, hey, you like VHS era stuff, you know, watch this. Um, it's called uh, Lake Nowhere. And it technically it's a short film uh, surrounded by, uh, you know, commercials made by the filmmakers. Because um, it feels like you put a tape in, one of those tapes has been taped over and taped over and taped over. <laughs> so you get glimpses of like commercials, like this beer commercial they have, uh, fake trailers, and finally gets into this kind of, um, you know, um, slasher-esque uh, backwoods um, thriller. That kind of turns out to be a little bit more than that, which is pretty cool. Um, just didn't grab me 100% just because if you're going to make something nostalgia or want to make a film in vain of those types of things, uh, don't wink at the camera so much. It just it doesn't do it anymore. Like we get it. We're horror fans. We know what you're trying to do. 
Um, you don't have to keep shoving it in our face. Like we, we get it. It's, it's fun. Um, but it's not fun when you make us realize that what we're watching, like let us watch the movie, what it is and, uh, whatever you're inspired by will emulate on the screen and pour through the screen and we'll see it. Um, filmmakers do it all the time. Uh, in your face stuff, it's not, it's not appeasing to our eyes anymore. It's just more or less than you get an eye roll. Um, but a decent, a decent fun, uh, short film, uh, turned into like, I guess it's like 50 minutes total. Um, you know, the film itself is probably like maybe 30, which I said it's like a short, um, but surrounded by kind of a VHS era type thing. Um, and that was kind of fun. Uh, next up was, uh, I got around to watching the Screen Factory's Return of Living Dead. Um, Return, Screen Factory is doing some killer work with these scans. When they actually go ahead and they uh, put forth the effort and do these uh, 2K scans, um, basically of these, like I mean, whether it's interpositive negative or just you know the negative of the film, they're doing a great job, um, especially with Return of Living Dead because uh, that film's been released uh, not very much. It had you know its of course its VHS and then it went out of print. It was extremely hard to find when I was little. Um, and then eventually came out on DVD. Um, I mean, I remember the day going to Best Buy and for some reason, Best Buy had like a hundred copies just sticking right there in the, you know, front rack. I guess they anticipated it or something. I have no idea. Uh, picked that up and then eventually came out on Blu-ray and the Blu-ray was very underwhelming. Um, and then officially it, uh, gets the best release it's ever had. It is crisp and clear and it sounds great. The soundtrack's great. I know it is missing that damn song, um, but uh, as far as uh, a whole, um, it's definitely worth uh, worth every penny um, that they put in, um, that you'll put into this release and all the work that they put in. Uh, people that are a fan of special features, it's packed. I didn't watch any of them because I've watched so much shit of Return of Living Dead. I kind of know everything, you know, the full story behind <laughs> the scenes and all that kind of stuff. I just want to see a great transfer of the movie, and that's what you get. Um, but you get jam-packed with special features, great transfer, sounds fantastic. Everybody knows what the movie is, so I'm obviously not going to talk about it. Um, but uh, definitely one of the best um, I've seen in quite some time. Uh, next up, dude, you talk about transfers, Justin. Fucking blood or uh, – oh, shit, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, blood and Black Lace? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have never seen something look so beautiful and so crisp and clear that they even put basically in the front. They arrows kind of almost like winking, like, "Hey, we did this, and we're super proud of it, and we put a fuck ton of work into it." That's awesome. Mario Bava is just—he's—he's he's great with um, with just cinematography. Great with colors. Great with lighting. Um, he can tell a story just through colors. And I've mentioned that many times on the show with Pedro Almodovar. He's just really great at foreshadowing his characters, you know, have them dressed in red or something. You know, there will be something like I, I mentioned it before is uh, like Broken Embraces when Penelope Cruz walks in and there's like posters of like guns on the wall and they're pointed directly at her. Like it's just like wonderfully set up uh, and everything like that. And just Mario Baba does that. 
And he's um, Blood and Black Lace is just beautiful. It's uh, stylish. It's ultra violent. It's um, you know, it's a great thriller. It's a great mystery. Mm-hmm. Kind of has this like neo noir aspect to it. Um, you know, he's just like with this film. I've seen it before, but it honestly with transfers like this and you know, kind of the soundtrack and the score that's added back in with um, just the crisp and, and, and clearness to to these audio tracks and music tracks. Um, it just feels like. We're watching the movie for the first time again, in which what we'll get into when we start actually <laughs> officially talking about these Vestron titles, it, it, it's, it's these movies when they're re-released like this, it, it, it makes us feel like we're watching the film again, you know, for the first time because we're seeing it in, a, in an aspect that we've never seen it before. Um, and it, it feels new to us. And I, I've seen Blood and Black Lace a couple times in the past, but seeing it in this, in this, uh, light and just kind of, uh, the transfer and the work that has went into this it is absolutely gorgeous film. Um, definitely one of the best, uh, you know, it's, it has giallo fe- uh, kind of feel to it is. I mean, it is giallo, but it's, it's just, it's almost like kind of like how psycho is looked at as a giallo. It's something a lot more than that. Where it's not even the yeah. fact we look at it kind of like a giallo. It's, it's something on, you know, it's its own entity. It's, it's, uh, it definitely one of Mario Bava's, uh, other than maybe Black Sunday, one of his, uh, best films and best looking films. I mean, I, I could watch that shit on mute. Oh, yeah. And just gorgeous. like every, every frame, you know, you know that, I I really don't like the Twitter account just because everything's just symmetrical. But that one perfect shot thing, you know, it's yeah. just I, I don't get that thing because everything's just symmetrical. Everything's like okay, that's not really a perfect shot. It's just you know everything's in place. Um, but every shot it feels like in Blood and Black Lace is just perfect. And the intro to that movie is just. It's like so off the wall and new. Even to this day, people wouldn't do that. But, you know, how they have the females like around the mannequins and then, you know, cause it's, it's not like, you know, they're, they're in character, but we're seeing, uh, you know, basically visuals of, of these uh, actors that are going to be portraying these roles beforehand and kind of like just the way they look in the lighting, you kind of, it's foreshadowing of these people's like motives their um uh kind of their attitudes um the the presence that they give in the film is the way they're lit um you know what they're wearing um it's just like i love like even the people that you kind of you know watching the film over again you kind of really notice it at first and maybe i've never noticed this before but even kind of your suspicious characters when they're introduced in the credit sequence like they're standing back in the shadows like, I love how the detective's, like, out in bright light, but everybody that he's kind of investigating that you think that is behind the scenes of this murder mystery, they're kind of in the shadows. And um, I, I don't know. I think it's it's one of those almost near-perfect films uh, and definitely one of uh, Bava's um, best films uh, by far. Whenever best people, looking. Whenever people are asking, like, what movie, you know, if Arrow is having a sale or they want to finally buy an Arrow film, like, whenever they ask me, like, what? Do you recommend from Arrow? I'm always like, that's one of my, that's my first go-to. You know, have you seen Blood and Black Lace? Get that 
Blu-ray. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's 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 outstanding, and it's just I don't know. There's not too many films like that. I mean, we have a lot of Giallo and great films, but as something as superb as uh, Mario Bava's uh, Blood and Black Lace, I don't think anything yeah. come comes close. And especially like how stylized and pretty it is. Shit, man, that movie gets ultra violent at times. Mm-hmm. Like he, that killer is really thrashing around those women, and it's like, oh my god, like this yeah. is, might be a little too much, you know? Because yellows are always violent, and you know, uh, but it doesn't. But what I was gonna say, the reason I was getting that, it doesn't come across as like kind of misogynistic, like a lot of the yellow films do. Mm-hmm. It it's ultra violent, but it does it in such a way where it's not exploitive, you know, it doesn't get to the exploitation route or even sexploitation where it's not they're walking around naked and they get attacked each time. It's very stylized, which I um you know it, I mean I, I love those yellows too, but it's just refreshing to see something kind of new in that genre, especially kind of the peak of that genre around that time and also being one of the films that influenced a lot more of those giallos that came later that are Hyper violent, um, you know, something that's kind of, uh, tame in a way, but also is violent, but it also very sty- uh, stylized. Yeah. Um, and there was that, and then, and you really need me to talk about Suicide Squad. It was fun. <laughs> you know, the completely different caliber of film that we're talking about here. I but, know. Uh, I saw Suicide Squad. Um, I was not a Batman versus Superman fan. Um, I'm kind of burnt out on superhero flicks. Um, just because it's not my thing. Um, but I was always a big Batman fan and big, uh, Suicide Squad fan since I was younger. So I was kind of excited to see a Suicide Squad movie and I don't care what critics think. I want to go see the movie for myself. I enjoyed it. It does have its problems. It feels like it's definitely, uh, kind of studio oriented. Um, uh, mainly because the film, like it was dumbed down a lot in order to, uh, make you feel, uh, mainly because not all these characters don't have, uh, you know, solo movies. Um, so we're kind of thrown into a group of characters that, you know, the general audience doesn't know about, um, which is fine. You know, introducing characters is one thing, but it just depends on how you do it. And it felt like a big portion, a big chunk of the movie was missing so they could do introductions and montages with these characters for mainly about 20 minutes. And it's like, okay, we got it. We know who they are now. And then immediately we jump into them saving the world. And Mm -hmm. it's like something's missing here. It's like our first act was way too long, and we just kind of miss parts of the second act. And we get to the third act that's kind of cluttered and chaotic, and then it ends. Um, But it has some great action. It's got a wonderful soundtrack. It has, uh, every, all the characters are portrayed just like how they're supposed to be portrayed. Um, and it's a fun, fun movie. That's, that's all I can say. I mean, it is a mess. I will agree, but, um, I think there's enough, enough cool. And, you know, it's, it's a basically way to put it. You can't say it's fantastic. You can't go on that. It's just a cool, fun flick. And if you're a fan of Suicide Squad, there's something in there that you'll like. Nice. So don't I, listen to everybody. I know the Batman versus Superman, the whole hatred of DC is silly. Uh, yeah. you know, 
it's not a great movie. That's the reason why people are not liking it. I think they were expecting more because obviously I think they were kind of misled by how amazing these trailers were for it. Um, and then it's, you know, it's not, I mean, trailers just give you specs of the film, certain scenes to get you motivated. But now these companies are just dishing out, you know, fucking there's like five trailers for Suicide Squad. And then there's that Comic-Con footage. Like, give me a break, man. Give me one trailer. That's it. You don't have to show me 20 minutes of the movie in trailers. Yeah. Well, then Um, the problem, too, is when they do these trailers, the film's not done. So they'll put in moments that aren't in the final film. And then you've already seen that. And then you're watching the movie waiting for the certain scenes. And then they're not there. And then, you know. Oh, dude, there's a few. (laughs) It's weird because I could at least name four sequences that are in the trailer. It's not in the movie. Yeah. So um, my my guess is is that um, what it feels like, you know, I obviously don't know this by fact by any means, but um, it feel I know David Ayer. Uh, David Ayer makes some fabulous films, uh, some great action films, maybe other than Sabotage, but um, he's made some great films, and this does not feel uh, solely like his film. A lot of it does. But honestly, it feels like they made a solid movie, and then Hollywood execs were like, wait a second, no one knows who these characters are. Um, there's nothing leading up to Justice League. So we need to drop 20 minutes of this movie, and we need to literally introduce these characters with Batman and set it up for Justice League in these little montages introducing these characters in some stylized Guy Ritchie snatch world, it feels like. Um, you know, quick cuts, and it it completely takes you out of the Like, if you look at the movie as a whole, but you just look at that montage uh, introduction sequences, that's not David Ayer's style. Yeah. And well, you can kind of screwed over with uh, the movie Sabotage, too. Like, that happened. Like, that movie, there's another cut somewhere out there that nobody's seen. That's a better film. And yeah. He had, and it feels the same way, like just choppy, but he's a good director. End of Watch is a legit, like Fury is, is an amazing film. Um, so, you know, training, I mean, training day, he wrote training day, right? Yeah. He, it, and he directed harsh times. I mean, he's a, he's, yeah, harsh times, he has a good, a, a good voice as far as putting himself, you know, his, the films that he's, 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 done. A, he's a good director. This but one think, just feels like it's toyed with. Yeah. Mainly because DC is in a rush to catch up with Marvel with his Justice League, and they're too worried about setting up the future movies rather than focusing on the movie that's out and they're trying to promote at that yeah. time. Well, I'm still waiting on my Sabotage director's cut. That's got to come out someday. Hopefully there's a director's cut like they did with Batman vs. Superman for Suicide Squad. That kind of saved that film a little bit with all the pieces that were missing. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. But yeah, it's a shame how DC and and Warner Brothers are kind of handling these. They need to, I mean, who knows really the back, the backstory. Um, but I feel like they need to trust the directors a little bit more. Even Zack Snyder. Um, maybe, I don't know, but, um, you know, just let, let the directors turn in their movie and, and put them out there. But this is studio filmmaking. So yeah, what are you gonna do? But I think All that's, right. uh, I think that's pretty much, uh, it. There might be something else in there, but honestly, I don't remember. We'll pick it up next week. Yep. All right, we got we got some uh, Vestron video titles uh, to talk about here in, in a bit. But first, let's get to news with Josh Obershaw. 
All right, Josh Obershaw joins us for the news. Welcome, Josh. Hello, Sean. Hey, listeners out there. Kind of an exciting week, don't you think? Heck yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, why don't we just get started right away? Um, I can't believe this is actually happening. Like, Well, first of all, we knew for a while that Shopping Mall and Blood Diner were going to be released on Blu-ray via Lionsgate. But it looks like those two films are going to be the first two in a series that Lionsgate are dubbing the Western Video Collector Series. So not only are we getting those two films on Blu-ray, but we're also getting a series of Blu-rays dedicated to the 80s VHS label, which is really, really rad. Heck yeah. And I can't wait for these two to come out. These two are going to be issued out on the same day, and that's going to be September 27th. Now, uh, there's going to be several audio commentaries on Shopping Mall. We got one with director and co-writer Jim Wernowski and actress Kelly Maroney and co-writer and second unit director Steve Mitchell. But we're also getting another commentary with uh, historians and authors Nathaniel Thompson and Ryan Turek. Awesome. And the there's actually... One more audio commentary. Jesus. Uh, Renorski's on this one, and plus uh, co-writer and director Mitchell. And there's going to be a bunch of like little featurettes on the making of Chopping Mall, and there's also going to be an isolated score and the trailer as well. And for Blood Diner, this is interesting. Uh, Jackie Kong, the director of uh, Blood Diner, she's um, notoriously press shy and elusive, but um, she took this one and she just grabbed it. And according to her, she supervised the mastering of the Blu-ray with the uh, director of photography and um, the extras for this one, she gets to do an audio commentary. And also there's going to be several featurettes on the making of it. And there's an archival interview with uh, project consultant, Eric Hayden. Now this is going to be now both of these, and future installments of the Vestron Video Collector series, which we'll get into in a minute, uh, they're going to be limited. Uh, how limited? They don't say. So uh, if you want more of these movies to come out, more of these classic 80s titles that we've been waiting forever for Lionsgate to put out on Blu-ray, got to come out and buy these. Because the next few films that are confirmed to be following these two are going to be a double feature of Waxwork 1 and 2, Return of the Living Dead 3, and Chud 2, Bud the Chud. Nice. I can't wait for these two to come out because um, Chopping Mall is actually a, a really good movie and uh, Barbara Crampton's in it too, so how could you go wrong there? But I've been really, really curious about Blood Diner. That is one of those little cult films that I'm sort of late to the party on. So uh, being able to see that film this way is going to be really, really exciting. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm late to the party with Blood Diner too. So, I I actually have the German Blu-ray, but I haven't got around to watching it yet. So, <laughs> so now I'll be buying oh. the, now I'll be buying this <laughs> Vesteron one as well. So to support it. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's good. I'm I'm really uh, looking forward to see what they do. Um, we're, we'll be dissecting it here a little bit later with uh, Justin Beam and and Brad. About all this, but um, 
but yeah, it seems like, you know, a very, very good, uh, idea on their part to finally dig into their, all these titles that they just have sitting around. But also putting out in this way too. I mean, this whole little prestige kind of format that, um, guys like arrow and screen factory are doing i think that i mean i didn't expect them to go all out the way that they are so kudos to landscape nice yeah i mean i was expecting like you know 1499 um hd master kind of thing is like like you know how universal's been doing that like they did that with carrie they did that with the burbs so i was kind of expecting Lionsgate to just kind of do that like shove them out quick and easy just hd masters but no, they're remastering. They're getting red shirt pictures involved to do all the special features. So they're they're doing it right. Very cool. Um, but that wasn't all the good news that we had last week. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Entertainment Weekly reported that... Um, sorry. Will Go USA Entertainment has acquired the rights to the entire Phantasm franchise. Wow. Which means finally... Phantasm Ravager, the final, the fifth and final installment is coming out to theaters on October 7th. And that Phantasm Remastered, that, um, HD restoration that JJ Abrams, um, worked on, that is going to be premiering in theaters on September 24th. And for Entertainment Weekly, Phantasm Remastered and the HD restorations of both Phantasm 3 and Phantasm 4 Oblivion will also be released on cable and digital platforms that day. And although plans aren't finalized, EW has been told Phantasm 2 will be available to view as well. Later in the year, the films will be released individually on Blu-ray and DVD, as well as in a collector's edition set. So, about time. I didn't realize they were going to do an actual collector's edition set. That's sexy. Very much so. And it's, and it's Wellgo USA, which is like, they're the last company that I was thinking would do this. Cause I don't think they've really di- dove into horror. They've stuck with kind of, uh, more of a like Korean films. And we talked about this last week, I believe, if I remember right. Last week was such a long show. I, <laughs> I feel like I spaced mm. out half a but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Wellgo USA, and that's that's I mean, really exciting for them because if they, I mean, they have an opportunity to really hit this out of the park and really please everyone who's been kind of clamoring for this set. So, no pressure, guys. No pressure at all. I know, seriously. Don't fuck up. This is like one of the most <laughs> beloved franchises in horror history. So yeah, I wonder if they do feel like a little bit of pressure there. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people that have been waiting for this fifth installment to come out. I mean, the, uh, the teaser trailer was dropped on us two years ago. Yeah. So I can't wait to finally check that out. And, of course, you know, after losing Angus Grimm, a.k.a. the tall man, earlier this year, I mean, I mean, the release of Ravager, this uh, remaster of the first film, and then this Blu-ray box set, I'm just hoping that this is a, a really good send off for the man yeah. and may he rest in peace as well. Okay. We got some more good news on the way. Uh, the conjuring two, which came out earlier this summer. Uh, there's already a release date for that one. That one's going to be coming out on September 13th. And there's a few little bonus features, but uh, nothing really too exciting. I'm, I'm just really surprised that this is coming out as quickly on Blu-ray. I mean, uh, 
because the film came out in theaters on June 10th, I believe. So this is sort of like a really, really quick turnaround. Usually when um, big movies like this come out on Blu-ray this quickly, it's usually either they're an enormous hit or a monumental failure. So, and I'm not saying that, that the conjuring are either. I mean, it did pretty well. I mean, it recently crossed the $100 million mark, but still, I mean, I think, well, I, I think so, it, it depends on the studio and I've, I've seen, I mean, I'm already starting to see like, you know, on voodoo.com, like you can already pre-order star Trek beyond, you know, uh, that's still in theaters. So I, I think it depends on the studio and how much money the film's made. But um, I, I don't think you can like, – you used to be able to kind of pinpoint it. Oh, this movie's doing horrible. It's going to be on Blu-ray next week, <laughs> you know. But uh, I, feel <laughs> exactly. like, I, I feel like, you know, unless they have a reason to wait, you know, they've already made their money. You know, and they've, they, all, they do all the special features and all the commentaries before the theatrical movie's released. So, you know, I mean – I don't know. I mean, I'm fine with it because just because I don't, I'm not able to make it to the theater as much. So that's the sooner I get to see it, which, which is fantastic for me. So, but uh, right. I, I'm excited to own Conjuring too. I, I really, I want to see it again. Oh, so do I. Yeah. Like Disney, if I feel like Disney waits like a six months to a year, another one of the few. Yes. I guess studios that wait that long. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess strike while the iron's hot, man, you know? <laughs> exactly. True. Uh, next up, we have a, a movie that we announced on the site a little while ago. This one's called Private Vices, Public Virtues. This is the uh, 1975 film from Miklos Jankso. Uh, and uh, Mondo Macabro are putting this out in a uh, limited edition Blu-ray, 1,000 numbered pieces. And that's going to be coming out on August 22nd with uh, pre-orders beginning on July 29th. And a retail edition Blu-ray is slated for October. Uh, it's going to be a region-free Blu-ray with a new high-definition transfer. Uh, there's, It's got a lot of features. The only two features that uh, won't be on the retail edition are the exclusive slipcover and a booklet with a brand-new essay by Max Weinstein and Joe Yannick. So... Private Vices, Public Virtues, if you want to get your hands on the special edition this, of this one, that one's August 22nd. And I really don't know anything about this film. This is actually one of those that was sort of like, it caused a, you know, it caused a big stink when it um, premiered in Europe and it kind of got buried. So it's good that, you know, films like these are getting a second life via blu-ray i'm definitely curious um so i you know we'll have to we'll have to see i wish i could just rent it you know but uh the, the package looks pretty great so i may have to just grab it yeah me too and the last blu-ray news i have comes from screen factory because it wouldn't be a week without screen factory news uh they just released some details regarding their um Collector's edition of Bubba Hotep. That one has a street date of November 8th. And there's a Don Costarelli approved art by Joel Robinson. And uh, for pre order, the extras for this one are going to be announced at a later date. So, yeah, we'll discuss those at another time. 
But um, they also just released some new art for both of the David Cronenberg films that they announced at Comic Con, which are Rabbit and Dead Ringers, and um, those look actually pretty good. Which reminds me, um, we're gonna I'm gonna do a little um, uh, front cover roundup for the site, so keep checking back for that. And you can see the uh, the new artwork for all of these Screen Factory releases. So uh, in TV news, we got a little bit of an update on TNT's revival of the TV show Tales from the Crypt. And the president of TNT, Kevin Riley, was saying that Tales from the Crypt will be on towards the end of 2000. 2017, fourth quarter of 2017, I'm assuming Halloween. And and before this is going to be part of a horror block that TNT are going to be doing. The other two original series that they have lined up is an anthology of season-long horror tales called Time of Death. And the other one is called Creatures. So I thought this was actually going to be premiering sometime this fall, but it looks like that block is going to be premiering next fall. So that's your update on Tales from the Crypt. Nice. And in a reboot news, Entertainment Weekly is reporting that Saw franchise executive producer Peter Block has acquired the rights to Pumpkinhead, and he plans on shooting a reboot sometime next year. And he also promises that it's going to be a practical effects heavy reboot. So, mm. yeah, this is actually uh, a reboot that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of torn on it a little bit. But, I mean, Pumpkinhead's such a cool monster that, uh, I mean, uh, I, I really, you know... I hope they don't try to remake the first one, like, shot for shot. or anything. I hope it's, like, a new, you know, this monster's terrorizing someone new kind of thing. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, almost like a spiritual sequel. Agreed. I, uh, this has, I mean, this series had the potential of being sort of like an anthology-esque. Yeah. Anthology-esque um, sort of franchise. It's just that the second film wasn't, wasn't that good at all. <laughs> So bad I didn't even bother with the two direct-to-TV um, sequels. I remember just sitting there watching Blood Wings going, oh, my God, really? I mean, the dip in quality from first film to second film was just so dramatic. It was almost like Howling 1, Howling 2. Oh, man. So I would love to see Pumpkinhead get a second chance. Agreed. I'm not a remake-hater, so don't hate me. No, I, I don't necessarily hate remakes. And we talk about, I mean... Uh, remakes all the time. I mean, I'm, me and Brad are always sticking up for uh, the House of Wax remake. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Which I still haven't seen yet. Um, it's it's pretty good. I don't know for what it is. It's it's a you know a, a pretty cool little slasher. I mean, I I actually dig the Friday the Thirteenth remake myself. Um, I'm you know there's certain movies <clears throat> that if the remake's done right and done fun, um. You know, nothing's gonna ever gonna take away from the original. The original's always there, but um, exactly. You know, but movies. I don't know if they try something new. I think that's what makes me like a remake more. Like, um, make it interesting. You know what I mean? Like, oh, of course. The the Ghostbusters remake. Like, I wasn't too keen on because it felt. I felt like it was just rehashing a lot of stuff that was redone. That was done better in the first movie. 
You know, you know, granted, seeing that my daughter had this team of women Ghostbusters to look up to and she's really loved it because they were girls. So she doesn't have a lot of girl heroes. Like, like that was cool. So I see, you know, that aspect of it, but you know, re- remakes are very, right. you know, I'm not hate, I don't hate them. Uh, I'm all, I'm always kind of cautiously optimistic. Um, that said, the remake of Ben Hur looks like total dog shit. Oh God. <laughs> I already shared my thoughts about that on Twitter, so I'm not going to go into that any, uh, any further. But you know, maybe I'll rent it one of these days. Like I ended up renting the Clash of uh, Clash of the Titans remake, and uh, I actually kind of, actually kind of liked it for what it was, you know. And I, I actually kind of liked I kind of liked its sequel, Wrath of the Titans. So you know, I mean, they are they are what they are. But see, they don't they don't take nothing's going to take away away from the original. You know, uh, if I have a choice, you know, I'm going to rewatch the original of Clash of the Titans over and over again. You know, um, right? So yeah, so you know. Pumpkinhead's such a cool monster that I think, and I think they have the right people kind of helming it. So, yeah, man, bring it on. What the hell? I agree. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> so that's all the news I got for this week, Sean. Awesome, Josh. What say you? Thank you very much, man. We will talk to you next week. Uh, keep up all the awesome work on the site. Um as you, as you know, you can check out all the news stuff on the screamcast.com. Go to screamcast, the screamcast.com slash news to go directly to all the news posts. Um, and then, uh, Josh, what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is Dr. Splatter, D-O-C-T-O-R-S-P-L-A-T-T-E-R. Nice. And if you click on, uh, if you click on Josh's little picture or name or something, I think I have a link to your Twitter right there. So make sure you follow Josh on Twitter for uh, all the other stuff to to take a peek. Yep, follow along into Josh's yep. private. See life. what I got, friends. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Josh. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, man. No problem. It's my pleasure. See you guys next week. So we are here. Justin Beam is still with us. What's up, Justin? Still alive, yeah. <laughs> the big the big news we wanted to talk about, and the reason why we kind of wanted to, I guess, discuss it a little more in depth was because, you know, since we started the show, Brad has always mentioned that Lionsgate has this collection of fantastic uh, 80s and, and 90s horror movies, and they're all kind of locked up and and you know all these other like Scream Factory and Arrow, they're all you know bringing back all these you know uh, horror flicks. But there's a whole bunch that were still uh, missing and not showing up. So once you know we started digging around and you know, movies like you know Chopping Mall, especially, was huge, hugely sought after. It turns out it was owned by Lionsgate. Um, we started doing our uh, stream screams to kind of bring some of these movies out. In the open, because there we noticed there were Brad noticed that there were some HD masters 
uh, on voodoo.com to buy or rent. Um, what were some of the movies we talked about on the show? Um, well, Paper I mean, House? Yeah, we talked about um, uh, Paper House. I know Chud 2, mm-hmm. um, Parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've we've talked about Actually, probably a few of them. Yeah, no, that, um, that was the it, thing. Like, we were those. Those are the kind of the first ones we you would seek out when you're suggesting movies. Like, you're looking for specifically kind of those Lionsgate titles. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's back going back. I mean, uh, not for the very beginning, but Vestron was uh, one of I. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure on this, but they were one of the leading. Um, distributors out there uh, in the 80s. Um, fairly popular and very, very big at the time. Um, and then, of course, shit went sour. Um, Lionsgate pretty much picked up uh, a lot of their titles, which uh, Vestra Pictures was there. Uh, Lightning Video was another one. Uh, IVE was another one. So there was a mixture, and a lot of these films uh, went off to other companies. Um, you know, I know that, um, I think uh, it was reading originally, Vestron had, like, The Princess Bride um, and Young Guns, but, of course, both of those were sent off to, like, you know, 20th Century Fox, something like that, and, you know, those films, because mainly they reserved mainly the rights to video cassette, but, um, you know, 20th Century of Fox obviously owned um, pretty much the theatrical and then obtained the rights, I guess, later on. I don't know the full story uh, behind behind it all. But, um, you know, there's a lot of films under there. I think Live was another one um, that basically, I think, Live obtained IVE or IV, IVE uh, um, obtained Live. I'm not 100% sure. I just know it's basically... One big stirring pot, uh, lightning, or lightning video, uh, Lionsgate owns quite a bit. And, um, I think with this resurgence of, uh, older films in the past couple of years on Blu-ray, it's definitely been, uh, on their minds, I would say. And now we are getting, I mean, they announced what, like six or seven within basically a week. Um, that they're doing yeah. in September and October. So it sounds to me like they're going to be digging through their vaults. And I hope it's not a rush thing where they're just doing whatever just to get them out. But it would still be cool to get them out there. Um, just make sure that they do Slaughter High and <laughs> Class of 1999 because Class of 1999 is the Lionsgate title, people. I might see the day. It, well, was light, it was a lightning video and then put out by Lionsgate on DVD, so I definitely know that they own it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they're working with Red Shirt Pictures on this whole entire line. Right, which so, that means that they're going to probably take the time and do it because I, I think this is a company that's listening to its fans. Oh, totally. I mean, they even got the numbers on you the know, spines. Even though that they <laughs> – yeah, even they're not maybe very vocal about it because they are – they're not vocal at all. I mean, we just kind of got this dropped on our. We knew uh, about it mainly because Jim Wernarski was talking about it for the past couple of years that it's being released on Blu-ray. And being we knew Lionsgate owned it, uh, we can only 
think, but we had no idea that there was going to be a Vestron collector series and uh, multiple films, especially Chud 2 coming out on Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, it's just an odd thing for them to pick, but, you know, maybe going down their vault and just picking titles here and there, maybe stuff that's uh, easier uh, to uh, put out or obtain. Um, I'm all game for it, even if it's Chud 2, which I'm actually a fan of, so... Um, <laughs> We'll, we'll get to see it. Now, Justin, what was your kind of experience, uh, you know, kind of growing up and being, uh, seeing those Vestron titles and lightning titles on the shelf? Vestron was a, was a frequent logo on the screen that it's, it's comfort food. It's like, even worse than Canon and a lot of these other labels that we fondly remember now, we look back on. I think Vestron was the horror, one of the horror fans' best friends, and they're such an adventurous distribution label that they were just all over the map. So it didn't matter if you were just diving into horror or just shitty action or whatever it might be. Odds are you're going to bump into Vestron sooner or later and often. So I always loved seeing the brand, and they, they've had so many titles over the years under their banner that are my first exposure to them was through Vestron, like Company of Wolves, and um, I think Phantasm, the first one I saw, first version I saw of that was Vestron. Suburbia was one, Corman. You know, I mean, uh, so there's so, so many films that I was introduced to through these guys, and I had no idea. I hadn't been paying attention too much to what Jim Wynorski's been up to. I love the guy, but I haven't been keeping keeping up on him. It's great that Chopping Mall is finally getting what it deserves. And I'm glad that that was one of the flagship titles because that movie is essential and has been sorely needing, sorely lacking this uh, a great release. And Jim's one of those guys who in general has suffered through all of this while he's watching some of the most minuscule titles get the deluxe treatment uh, I, I love his catalog. I really like his cinema, his brand of cinema. And there's been very little of it that's e- even available these days because so much of his stuff is on these little labels that disappear after a few years. Yeah. Where it goes, it goes out of print. Um, it, it's, it's hard to find. A lot of his catalog is really hard to find or it's through New Concord who just prints it for a year and then stops and then maybe puts a thousand out one year and then doesn't do it again. <laughs> So it's all over the place, and it's good to see Jim getting this kind of love. I hope that this is the beginning of, of more of this. I know that Lost Empire, which is my favorite film of his, that just got released from, I can't remember the name of the label. It's a smaller label, but they just they did. Uh, on VHS last year. On VHS? Right. Or, I'm sorry, DVD. Yeah, it hit. it landed on DVD, and the same company put it out on Blu-ray this year. I was really kind of sad because the Blu-ray is absolutely bare bones. It doesn't even have like a menu. It's just play. My, the commentary from the D, from the DVD didn't even pour it over. So that's kind of disappointing, but that's what I'm talking about. Like it's been so hit or miss, mostly miss with him. I'm thrilled that this is finally happening. Well, so, think, yeah. I think what happened was I know that uh before the announcement, before we had kind of there was any formal announcement, I follow him on Facebook. So got kind of word that he was actually meeting with Lionsgate. He had a meeting with Lionsgate and we knew that he'd been working himself on, I think restoring chopping mall and actually doing some special features and things like, things like that, like himself. 
So like we always we always kind of knew that a Blu-ray was coming of Chopping Mall at some point, but it seems like he had a meeting with Lionsgate, and I I guarantee you he because he he talks to all the horror fans all the time. He knows what collectors want. He's he's follows all these different Blu-ray groups, you know, on on Facebook, and he's he's paying attention. So I I have a feeling he was kind of the one driving this. Was, yeah, I think he was a big part of. Oh this. yeah, yeah, because. To, to all of a sudden have like you know this Vestron Collectors series, you know it looks like they're doing the slipcover, they're doing the numbered on the spine, they're doing original poster art, um, not what's you know Screen Factory and Arrow doing with new new artists kind of doing their own posters, like the actual theatrical poster art, which is I'm a huge fan of that. Like, just just give me that, give me the poster art, the original poster painting, I'm good to go. But um, so they're they're doing that. So they're doing it right. Like they're definitely appealing to the collectors. Um, and then you know everyone was freaking out about the 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 price point. I talked to Mike from Grindhouse Video. He's working with his distributor to get it down to like under thirty bucks. I know for sure. Um, I know that I've they're seen 26. it. Twenty six ninety nine on Diabolic. Right yeah, now. yeah. Okay, yeah, so I saw that on Diabolic. So this it'll be that it'll that that it'll is totally uh, affordable uh, for these. And especially for these first t- two titles, Chopping Mall and Blood Diner, I mean, you, you you talk about you wanting more releases like this. You want them to dig deeper into their catalog, like pay, you know, vote with your wallets on these. You know, I want these. I would love to see these sell out. Um, just gonna, it, you know, it, it's just such a fun fun thing to do. But yeah, the other titles that they that they're that they announced. Um, so that we got the Waxwork one and two, and of course. Bud the Chud, and then Return of the Living Dead 3, which that's a Trimark title. So it looks like they're not doing 100% what was on Vestron. This looks like they've created a new... Yeah, I think just because they're picking Vestron because it was such a moneymaker and yeah. very, very well known. I think they're just... Because it would be, you know, lightning uh, collector. Yeah. I, only really hardcore. I think it's just kind of one label... Obviously, to save money on printing and all that kind of other shit, mm-hmm. um, just kind of funneling and under just one of the biggest brands. I think it's a smart idea. They did uh, a new like bumper, like a new uh, logo bumper. I just saw yeah, that. I saw it. It looks pretty cool too. I guess <laughs> Red Shirt was part of that. As yeah, well. yeah. I mean, it, it's great, man. I'm excited about it. Um, I, I gosh, I don't think I, I think I've only seen Wax the first Wax work, and I don't even remember watching the whole thing. What are your guys' thoughts on the the waxwork series? I mean, is is this an odd thing? I mean, it's going to be double featured. Does that appeal to you guys? What do you guys think? Well, I don't really. I haven't seen any of them, to be honest. I, yeah. I I really think that what they're doing is they're taking those movies that were like the six packs from a few years oh, ago yeah. that they dumped into the bins, and they were really hard to find. I remember when they first came out, their word of them started to spread way before they even landed here in the Midwest where I am. And uh, we were, we, my buddy had a friend in California who his local, I don't know, Best Buy or whatever, had him in a dump. And, and he's like, man, send us. So we actually sent the guy money. We PayPal the money to send these discs off to us because like, where the hell else are we going to get Blood Diner? Where the hell else are we going to get? So <laughs> what they've done is they've essentially just taken these titles that have sort of been already in the works for a while with these discs that have been somewhat remastered at least. And it seems like they're upgrading those scans or maybe just using the full scan that they had done for those DVDs, maybe anticipating this down the road. But that's what this is. This first run is like one of one of those sets. Yeah, it's, it's just 
those titles. It says they're all going to be newly remastered. I mean, that's great. That's great. They're, they're, I feel like they're really taking a chance, but I feel like they're, they're taking an educated chance. You know, they know that these are going to do well. I mean, um, we, I mean, we just, we just did Chud 2 and Return of Living Dead 3 in our, you know, recently, right? Well, not recently, but last year at some point we covered those. And yeah, we talk about a lot of Lionsgate. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I loved Return of the Living Dead 3. That one, I mean, Brian Usna, Brian Usna has, has basically become one of my favorite directors <laughs> since I saw Society and then Return of the Living Dead 3 and then Bride of the Reanimator. I mean, he's, and The Dentist. Ooh, we might see a Blu-ray of The Dentist. Yeah. Love that flick. It's like an IV, IVE title or live or something. Yeah. So, I mean, more Usna on Blu-ray. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Chud 2, I wasn't really that big of a fan of, but, um, you know, if there, that's one of those, like, if it spurs along a Blu-ray of Chud, <laughs> then bring it on. Cause that's one that's a surprisingly hasn't, uh, seen a, a Blu-ray release. I think it's, uh, owned by Image. Huh. That's weird. Yeah, they're not very, uh, too keen on, uh, releasing things anyway. Uh, they're very much like Mill Creek, but at least they're both kind of get diving into Blu-rays again. It seems. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. I mean, that's. I mean, it'd be great if this, if they saw that that Chud Two did really well, and we're like, oh shit, we're sitting on a gold mine here, you know. I, I mean, I hope it. I, like the thing is, is people have like I know that where everybody was really quick to shit on Chud Two again, um, <laughs> but if we were not going to purchase these movies and give them love. Um, cause we all love shitty movies, uh, so learn to love shitty movies if you think it's shitty. Uh, give it some love too, because the only way we're gonna get more, um, of those kind of lesser known titles mm-hmm. is if we support the lesser known titles. I mean, Chopping Mall, um, you know, and Waxworks, uh, Return of Living Dead 3, actually probably not even Return of Living Dead 3, I think Waxworks and, um, uh, Chopping Mall are going to be the biggest sellers. Yeah, and I think uh, Blood Diner will do well too. Yeah, but Blood Diner's also had a region-free uh, Blu-ray for you know quite yeah. some time now. I, I own it. I still haven't watched it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm not saying it's going to hurt, but I think people are smart enough that if you don't support it and if it's limited, sell it out or whatever. You're not going to keep on getting these. Yeah. You know, even though it's Lionsgate and they're pretty much like a billion-dollar company, one of the biggest distributors right now they're not going to spend the time and money into something like this if it's not at least somewhat profitable right so right. uh support it uh waxworks man those are some killer fucking titles like waxworks one and two um that was in every video store it seemed oh um, yeah and uh it's just a lot of fun um, it, it's very like Waxworks almost feels like it was made for kids in a way. Um, it has a very like fantasy childhood, uh, kind of aspect to it. Uh, very much like, you know, the Goonies and shit like that. That's what the way I remember Waxworks. Um, I haven't seen it in probably a few years, but I really, really like Waxworks and I like part two as well. Um, great special effects, great monsters getting trapped in the wax museum and then becoming part of uh, kind of a wax, uh, you know, getting sucked into this kind of, you know, realm where you're fighting, uh, werewolves and shit like that. Just a lot of fun in general. Yeah. So I'm glad to see it. Of course, Chopping Mall, Return of Living Dead 3. Um, you heard our 
responses on that and, and Chud 2. Just support Chud 2. I'm really afraid of that one. When they announced that, I was I like, I put my fist in the air and I was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, wait. People <laughs> fucking hate this movie. I was like, man, Chud 2. Like, I just wish, I hope that people give it another chance because it's not that bad. Don't think of it like a Chud sequel. Just think of it as like a horror comedy and you'll have some fun with it. Yeah. There's there's some of these movies that have been that were out on the Vestron video label that I guess Lionsgate didn't get the rights to because we've already seen Up From the Depths is getting that Screen Factory release. Return of the Living Dead, the original, of course, and Reanimator. But um, what are some movies that you guys are hoping get released on Blu-ray? I know that I really would love to see The Gate get a yeah, Blu-ray the gate, release. The Gate could be one of them because I'm pretty sure they own that too. I'm surprised, which I was surprised that wasn't one of the main ones announced, but you know, you can't name all the greats at first. Yeah. You know, what are some deep cuts that you guys are, uh, yeah, kind of hoping for? What do you say, Justin? What, what would you say? Mortuary. That's been on, that's not on Blu-ray. Scorpion. Yeah, Scorpion. Scorpion. Yeah, Scorpion, yeah, Scorpion released that. it uh, last oh, year. Oh, Jesus. Oh my God. If, okay. I'm way behind the yeah. times. <laughs> I, yeah, I only yeah. know because, Oh, you know what? God damn it. Uh, Sword and the Sorcerer. Right? Come on. Sword and the, I don't know what that movie is. I'm sword sorry. Sword and the Sorcerer, man. That's a. I don't, I don't like those sword and sandal movies, Sean. So I'm looking at the wrong one. No, that's not Sword and the Sorcerer. God damn it. Um, well. It's, it's one of those, uh, that, uh, whatever this is, it's, uh, it was already released on, by Screen Factory. Or, well, I really hope that they bring in Bob Balaban to do kind of a, Collector series of parents. That'd be amazing. I think parents is a very underseen. Yeah, agreed. Bob Balaban is uh, a terrific filmmaker and a great great actor and a fucking phenomenal writer. Um, So I like to see parents. Uh, Of course, I mean, I can only say class in 1999. I think Sean says you can mention (laughs) it one time on every show, but that's definitely uh, that was lightning video. and um I, I think uh MGM took over uh releasing it I think in theaters maybe. Um but I believe that Lionsgate obtains the rights because a DVD has been released to class in nineteen ninety nine along with those packs that Justin mentioned earlier. Um so I'd like to see that. I'm trying to think. I'm like I'm, Unholy? The Unholy, that was in one of those packs mm-hmm. yeah. too. Yeah. Um anything else for you, Justin, that you'd be excited to see? I don't know. I, I I think that they did in the Company of Wolves. I mentioned that earlier, I think. That's when I remember being a Vestron thing oh. from when I was a kid. And if that's the case, I would love to see that get the deluxe what, treatment. What is that? The Company of Wolves. Yeah, that, that oh. has a UK release. Yeah, I think but I think that's a that is a Vestron title because I remember that that cover man of that wolf oh, coming out of a woman's face. Yeah. Jesus. That was kind of yeah. horrifying when I was little. That one because I have the the UK Blu-ray, it looks okay, but that one, if if they if someone came in and remastered that thing, it's a beautiful film. Too. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, I it's love gorgeous. that. I love that flick. Oh, we might actually get um, uh, maybe Little Monsters. Oh yeah, I think oh, that's yeah. a Lionsgate title. I just found my videotape of that. My God, yeah, yeah it's I so think good. It's an out of print DVD too, so yeah. that might be on the. Agenda. I, I have that from Voodoo uh, in HD. I own it. The, yeah, the yeah. Well, version, so. that's what I'm saying. A lot of these, a lot of these titles are in HD. Yeah. On Voodoo. 
But I mean, people are all about the blue right now. And I honestly, I am too, if, especially if we're getting new transfers. Oh, you know, another one that we talked about, Sean, um, that we battled, uh, because you did not like, but Ghoulies 3, <laughs> Ghoulies Go to College. And John Carl Beekler, yeah. Is uh, a best drawn title that I would be stoked to see. Cause the first two got that, uh, Screen Factor release. Yeah. So, and then I know Jim, he might be, I don't know if they own four, but, uh, you know, Jim Wernarski did, uh, four. So we'll see. Even though that's not really a Ghoulies movie. Ghoulies, anymore, oh my God. <laughs> that was a, that movie's a mess. Um, I, of course, Slaughter High, uh, that was on a pack as well. And, um, you know, but my question is, is that are they going to release, um, more than horror? Because Vestron has a lot of comedies as well. Oh. Um, some of their bigger titles have been released, but no, like, comedies or action films have been announced yet. And I know that we're just in the beginning of this, but we've had seven titles. But in the future, I'm kind of uh, curious if they're going to release some of these, um, you know, uh, I want to say Girlfriend from Hell is uh is one of them um i know that uh uh china girl is is a film that's actually directed by um uh who's the bad bad lieutenant director which uh, one uh, old one come on <laughs> i'm not talking about no cage shit um uh, god damn it uh abel ferreira you know, he, he did China Girl, so I'm kind of curious if, uh, you know, they're going to dip into kind of the comedy realm and action realm. Primarily, they were horror, of course, but I would like to know if they're going to dig deep into that. Now, that would be some deep cuts. Oh, yeah. But I don't know if that's kind of what they're going – are they going for a horror thing, or are they just going to basically be like, well, hey, now, these are all the old titles? Now it looks like horror. Uh, I mean, I haven't really seen – you know, other than their little press releases, they're not really going into further in depth about what they're doing. They're just saying that it's going to be a line of classic genre films. So they're not specifically saying horror. So, so I think so there's, think you know, Morgan Stewart's coming home. I think is another one that they, uh, they have. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. I've, I've never um, seen it. Oh, uh, you know, another one, you know, oh, dude, I know other ones because now I'm remembering when we talked about them, we covered Sundown, the Vampire in Retreat. Oh yeah, that'd also be fun layer one. layer the white worm. Oh yes. So some Ken Russell in HD, which would be nice. I mean, layer the white worm is just so so much going on with it. It's a you know it would lend itself very well to HD. I mean, I think I've rented it on digital in in HD. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's that's another. Uh... Another one. I mean, there's countless. I'm trying to think of that logo on the side. You know, also Lightning Video, um, which I think maybe Troma picked up some Lightning Video stuff back in the day. Because I want to say even uh, like um, like Flesh Eating Mothers was uh, a Lightning Video uh, title, but eventually got picked up by Troma. Because Troma, um, you know, they bought out a lot of companies. Um, at the time, um, and they released them under their label, which there's this common misconception that it's all oh, this is a trauma movie, and it's actually not. You know, it's uh, trauma just 
re-released it, and they distributed it for a short time on VHS and then again on DVD. Here, here's one, Brad. Uh, we've been meeting, we've we're going to be talk, we we're going to try to talk about it at some point. But uh, Gothic, the Ken Russell. Speaking of Ken Russell, yeah, is that another one? Was that Vestron or is that? Uh, uh, Lionsgate owns it. Yeah, well, if Lionsgate owns it, then. I, I, what I think though is, you know, we could say Vestron, but I think that if Lionsgate owns anything, they're going to put it under kind of the subsidiary of Vestron. Mm-hmm. That's what it seems like they're going to do. So we might get some crazy shit coming up here. That'd be great. I mean, the crazier the better. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Anything else for you, Justin, that you'd be excited about or are you thinking about? No, nothing that I can think of off the top of my head. I hope that more labels do this. I think it's great that companies like Warner have their print-on-demand stuff, but to really love these films and to put this much into them I think is incredible. And I think that this, the physical media in general, but especially the Blu-ray market, so much of it is owned by collectors now that you need to serve that audience. And I think these, these guys get it. So I think if you're going to go there, if you're going to do anything with your catalog and hope to make any more money off it again, you're going to have to treat it this way yeah. to do anything with it. And I really hope that this it lights a pilot light that guides some of these other studios and labels to to do this kind of thing because it's so important that these things don't just dwell in 10th generation you know, crap on YouTube forever. Uh, we we need to rescue these titles, and it's beautiful that this is happening. Agreed. Yeah, I just um with the collectors market, uh, you know, I'm I'm I know that this you know collectors have actually helped, but they've also kind of ruined things at the same <laughs> time. Like you know, the demand for it is what has helped uh, a lot of these companies and a lot of these uh, smaller companies like Scorpion releasing and. I mean, even Code Red, um, yeah. Screen Factory, uh, Olive has dug uh, through the MGM vaults and released some stuff. So, um, you know, the companies are seeing it's a collector's market, um, but it's becoming two collectors now because now we're getting limited, limited editions, you know, because limited edition. Which is frustrating, yeah. You yeah. know, yeah, limited edition soda at Target, but, you know, <laughs> you can go to the store and you, you can still get it but when we have limited edition blu-rays that are down to like 500 or a thousand you know you have uh scalpers at this point buying yeah. as many copies as they can because they know it's going to go out of print if it's a high in demand title so at the same time collectors kind of ruined it too it's 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 a very frustrating thing because you know like i said it has become a collector's market and it, people are collecting them like they would uh, toys and cars, uh, you know, toy cars um, and baseball cards and, and shit like that. They don't take them out of the package. They just leave them. And it's like, man, I want the movie for the, you know, to watch it. I had to sit on my shelf to look pretty in a slip, cup, slip cover. Yeah. I wonder if I can watch the movie. Twilight Time drives me nuts with that stuff. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they're they're the worst with that kind of shit. Yeah, I've had a few that are just heartbreaking. I only buy Twilight Time if I really, really, really want the movie. I mean, I would if they were cheaper, if they're easier to get, I would probably take a chance on more of them. But I think the last one I bought from them was Mysterious Island because I'm trying to collect all these uh, Harryhausen type flicks, you know. Right, but I'm with Justin on that. It's sometimes is very, very disappointing because. 
you know, being that they're so limited in the high price, you think you're going to get something special. And really, you're just getting a glorified olive release, you know, bare yeah. bones half the time. Yeah. You know, an HD HD master. The only reason it's high price is because it's so limited and they probably won't sell. I mean, how many titles can you think of that are actually sold out from From Twilight Twilight Time? Not many of the. Just the horror. Right. It's mainly just the horror titles and, you know, some of the ones that were released in the very beginning. So, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know. Like, I understand why it has to be limited because you don't want to go broke doing, uh, you know, maybe 5,000 prints. But at the same time, you know, if you didn't make it twenty nine ninety five, you know, because you got to think of what it, what it's like. You know, one thing I wanted to touch on for us in this episode is what it's like to be a horror fan of these days. You know, with, with these films that are, like I said earlier in the, in the show, these films that are being re-released to us, it feels like we're going to the store again and watching movies for the first time. And we get excited when new movies are announced. I've seen Chopping Mall 30 goddamn times in through my life. <laughs> yeah. And when that thing was announced, man, I like, I felt like a little kid again. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I, I own, I own the DVD. I can watch it tonight if I wanted to, <laughs> but there's something special about that announcement. And, you know, seeing, it's almost like we get to see the movie live again. Mm-hmm. We get to see it in a new light. Just like I was saying about the Mario Baba film is that it, you know, it feels like we're watching it for the first time again. It's like, I don't want to watch it again until the Blu-ray comes out. That's kind of how I feel. Like, I want to watch this movie in glorious HD with the fucking lights turned off on a weekend with, you know, a drink in hand, watching fucking Chopping Mall and watch, you know, Susie Lee, Barbara Crampton fucking run around and kill bots, kill everybody. That's what I want yeah. to see, you yeah. know, and and it's special to us horror fans. Um, it's just sad that sometimes it gets uh, – you know, people are pissing our pots because they're making it more of a collector's market and be like, ooh, I own this and you don't because I got up at three in the morning for this <laughs> limited edition sale and I'm going to take pictures of it and post it all over forums and, and Facebook and Twitter and it's sealed and then the motherfucker turns around in three months and sells it and the shit's still sealed. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I don't know. Like it, it, collectors have have done so much good with with uh, kind of making this market and seeing that it is profitable. But at the same time, um, you know, these distributors, some of them are taking, uh, you know, I think advantage uh, of it as well because they know people are going to pay for it. Well, that was the one that thing was, that I was uh, annoyed with that when Screen Factory did did their little run. Because well, they did their their five like exclusives that are yeah like, you can only each. get it f- through them. Um, they're pretty pricey for I think pretty they're much thirty bare, bucks bare bones, and they're and, bare bones, yeah, yeah. And then they're they're you know those movies like you know I think I, most of them I had already own on DVD, and uh, I'm I'm fine with having them on DVD. But um, you know if you're gonna if you're a, a fan of these goofy B movies like I am. I'm willing to take a chance on buying one, but the price has to be right. But, well, that's but, the thing is you're not going to have anybody blind buy anymore if it's like that because that's the right. biggest thing is like, you know, it's just like renting a title. You go to the store, you see something cool artwork mm-hmm. on the shelf or on Amazon, you take a chance. 
well, I'm not going to take a chance if it's twenty nine ninety five, and maybe I'm not a big fan of the movie. Yeah, you know, renting it's one thing, but buying something, and you know, I mean, you got to look as horror fans, and these distributors have to look at us every fucking Tuesday. Something's coming out, and we're just not mm-hmm. horror fans. We're we're cinema fans. We're fans of film. So you know, you got to think of everything else that's coming out. I mean, if if I bought everything that I wanted to on Tuesdays, I would literally have to be a millionaire. Yeah, there's there's no way, and that's not an exaggeration. I mean, we had the Scorpion Prisoner, uh, female Scorpion Prisoner, come out. I mean, we microwave massacre from, uh, you know, Arrow, um, just Arrow titles in general, um, and, and shit like that. Man, you can break the bank so easy these days. I I have. I've been in the doghouse no. a few times. <laughs> so you know, and, and it has to be justifiable too. Like if you if you put a price tag, let's say Screen Factory put a price tag on Return of Living Dead, thirty bucks. I could easily see that because there's obviously a ton of work that went into that release. Right. There is so much behind it, so many hands in the pot, doing a brand new transfer. I'd be willing to pay $30 hands down, no problem. Same thing with most Arrow releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arrow only really does 2K scans these days. Uh, you know, Same thing with Vinegar Syndrome. Have no problem dropping that much. But when you just release something bare bones on Blu-ray and you put a price tag on $29.95 just because it's, it's not, it's not going to be a title that sells well. So in order to make up profit, you put a high price tag on it. I understand it's business. It's smart, but maybe you might sell more if it's not as high. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm, it's, it's one of those I, I'm weird willing, business business decisions right. that they have to make, and I and I and I get it. I was in, you know, I, I was I worked in clothing, but we, it was the same type of thing where we we had to choose how many t- how many runs of t shirts we were going to get, which ones we're going to sell, and you know, we took a chance on some designs, and then we also we have all the stock just sitting there, not selling. You know, it's I, I get it. You know, and and with everything with printing t shirts, you you know you can. Buy like a thousand T-shirts from our printer, pay like five bucks a T-shirt. But if we order two thousand, we're gonna be down to two dollars a T-shirt. So it's like, well, if I sell two grand, I'm gonna make more money. But you know, so I mean, I get the manufacturing, you know, reasons behind all this. But um, I don't know. Like, it's it's a it's a hard thing to. To try to, to 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 think about, it. and I'm glad they're at least trying, you know, with it. But I think you know maybe they maybe like Screen Factory, like maybe they should have tried with some better titles that they knew for sure, you know, would sell. And, th- and that's what I feel like Lionsgate is doing, at least for these first two. They know that these two are going to be do really well, and and then all of a sudden they're going to release their next phase, right? Those other four, and see how those go. So you know, we'll see what happens. It's definitely a fun time. To be a collector, it's an expensive time to be a collector. It's amazing, though. And, it's amazing. Um, but I mean, it's it's uh, I mean, ha- I mean, half the movies I own, it's like now I'm I'm as a you know I, I used to be pretty OCD with my collection, um, and you know, having three having three kids and working so much <clears throat> with my my, jo- my job and everything, it's like I I'm less OCD now for sure, and. So now it's like I want my because I used to try to get 
all the movies I wanted on Tuesday, but it's not sustainable. I mean, I would be, I would be flat broke. And, um, so now I'm trying to focus on, you know, the releases like the arrow releases, the things that are worth that money. And I'm, so I'm buying less movies and I'm trying to force myself to rent more, but I'm hoping that some of these movies, you know, at least give us an option to rent it digitally or something. You know what I mean? That's the one thing. It's like, that's the one thing we're losing. I think is the rental market with all these stores just being gone. Like you can't just go rent a movie. Um, I do the Netflix DVD thing now and their library, their horror library is actually pretty good. Um, so, I mean, they, they even have like criterion and stuff like that. So I haven't checked to see if they have any screen factory stuff, but it's like we're losing the rental market and no one has, no collector has, and movie buff has the money to buy everything. So it, it's a weird, uh, time to be in. It's fun for collectors, but for the, for the horror enthusiast, I mean, I, I mean, I guess what you're talking about earlier, Justin, with so many independent stuff being available for free and then Amazon Prime having so many crazy titles. I mean, I guess, you know, there's, we're never going to run out of stuff to watch. I guess I shouldn't say for free. I mean, the great thing is well, you can, you're, you know, you're paying, but yeah, and, and you and you support these people directly, and that benefits them in a big way. So it's a well for free. You mean I mean sometimes they'll throw them up there on their website for free on YouTube, sure, things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. There's a yeah. There's definitely a lot of it out legit there. Legit ways, people. We're talking legit free. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> don't be don't Always. be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> So, Brett, I know you've uh, you've slimmed down your uh, your collection a little bit. You're you're trying to change your habits. Is yeah, it just because all mean, this crap coming out, or what's uh? Well, yeah, I mean, it's you know, I I've been you know a fan for a long, long time, and I I went through, you know, I was I was buying everything as it came out uh, years ago. You know, every Tuesday, um, I would go to Best Buy and pick up whatever was new. So, you know, there's mostly newer releases. I'm not talking about older horror titles. Yeah. So, and stuff that was cheap, you know, on Amazon, you know, kind of, kind of surfing through, you know, browsing Blu-ray.com and picking up all the cheap titles uh, for a long time. And so I, you know, had close to, Jesus, a few thousand uh, Blu-rays, a few thousand DVDs, and thousands of tapes to the point where I just had stacks and stacks. And, um, you know, as some of this stuff was being re-released on Blu-ray from, you know, first time on Blu-ray, uh, first time on DVD type thing, I was like, you know, there's no reason for me to have a DVD and Blu-ray and um, or a VHS and DVD and want to have the Blu-ray. So I just went through and started siphoning through all that stuff. Um getting rid of pretty much all dupli- uh, dupes, um, everything like that, um, and kind of going through my Blu-ray collection and being like, you know, pulling out the HD codes and saying, oh, I own this digitally. Do I need the Blu-ray? No, I don't. Right. You know, like if I owned, um, shit, uh, give, me a, give me a title that you like, Transformers. <laughs> There's no reason for me to have Transformers on DVD. I'll never watch that shit again. You know, but I bought it because it was like five ninety nine on sale during like Black Friday or yeah. something like that. Um, so I just went through and got rid of all my popcorn flicks like that. Um, got rid of all my big blockbuster titles um, and just kind of converted to H, uh, you know, a, you know, digital HD on that on Vudu. 
So I still have them. My mm-hmm. digital library is humongous, um, mainly because I've been redeeming all those codes and, and selling them and then trading them in and using money for titles that I really want. You know, anything by Arrow, pretty much everything by Screen Factory, uh, Cult Epics, uh, Vinegar Syndrome, um, you know, now this Vestron collector's title, Lionsgate, um, Grindhouse releasing, Severin, Synapse, um, Criterion, all, all those I keep an eye out uh, mm-hmm. because I trust the label. You know, I can I can go in blind and purchase some you know goofy fucking title I've never heard of before, but I'm not willing. I'm willing to spend the money, so I can spend thirty dollars on that. But it's hard for me to pull the trigger on you know a two dollar Blu-ray of Transformers Seven. You know, yeah. I'm just not wanting to do it because it's like you know it. It was I was a collector too, but I would watch the movies. That was the difference. Um, but I was like, man, I, you know, cause you want, you want that collection, but really I just wanted it to be like any film nerd come in and, you know, you know, orgasm when they see, you know, the stuff that's sitting on the shelf rather than seeing a bunch of junk. Yeah. Um, and eye candy, I can save the eye candy for, you know, my digital library. Yeah. Hey, um, we're, we're running kind of long here and I think, uh, Justin needs to take off here. Yeah, I'm going to need to get rolling. All right. Um, Justin, before you go, can you just let everyone know where to find your podcast and where to yeah, find thank you online? You. Yeah, you can find the podcast at justinbeamradiohour.com or just at my site, justinbeam.com. There's links there. It's on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, everywhere that podcasts are streaming. You can get your hands on it. So episode three comes out on the 7th. I'm not sure if this is going to air before then or after, but there's an episode three. Nice. And so on from there, it's a bi-weekly show and the best way to keep up with it is on Facebook with me, uh, or at the podcast page, obviously same name. So cool. yeah, thank you so much again, guys. Really appreciate all the support. All right, Justin. Thank you. No problem, man. Yeah. You have a good night, guys. All right, you bet. All right. All right, Brad, let's wrap up the show. Cool. And, uh, so yeah. You can check us out, thescreamcast.com. Go there for news and all that, uh, all that other stuff. And uh, if you if you like the show, we're we're really trying to uh, get a little bit of cash so we could pay our writers. There's a donate button there. Um, we have a few of you have been insanely generous um, signing up for like the monthly a monthly kind of donation, which is great. Uh, you can do a one time or a or a monthly. It help us out a lot. Um, like I said, we really want to keep the the site going and. And uh, we'd like to be able to sling some cash our writers away. So help us do that by doing that. Still looking into the Patreon thing. It's, uh, you know, let let us know like what you guys would prefer. If there's a Patreon, would you be willing to donate? You know, would it be easier? Let us know. Uh, otherwise, I have it through the PayPal, and that seems to be working just fine for now. So, of course, check out our sponsors. Give them all some love. Go to grindhousevideo.com to order all the flicks you want. Uh, Mike's really good about pre-orders. My Scorpion, uh, that Arrow box set, Scorpion, what is it? Scorpion Prison? Female. What's that called? You just screwed me up. Huh? Scorpion Female Prison. Scorpion Female Prison. That's finally shipping from them, uh, to me. I pre-ordered it a while ago and Mike's really awesome with all that. So check out his site, grindhousevideo.com. Of course, Vinegar Syndrome. Check them out. Their monthly, uh, we got we, we need to schedule our monthly, uh, the next show. We got, we got some movies to talk about. 
I agree. Black um, exploitation. Heck yeah. And then uh, Coffee Shop of Horrors, if you want some awesome coffee, check them out. And, and then uh, who else we got? One of the Wolfman of Mars. Wolfman of Mars, Kevin Spencer. And Kevin Spencer. Go to thescreamcast.com slash sponsors and check them all out there. Uh, otherwise, all you guys have a great week. We'll talk to you very soon. See ya. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. Party's just begun. Oh.